Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What's up, Gypsy gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast and stoked to bring you this one with the dude, Paul Morris. Uh, Paul has raced and won in pretty much every single car category that Australia has to offer. Uh, and then that includes going uh, to the US and racing the Stadium Super Trucks World Series over there. Uh, he's the owner of the Norwell Motorplex as well here uh, on the Gold Coast and just an extremely uh, knowledgeable dude when it comes to anything four wheel. So I've always wanted to have Paul on and uh, I've been out to, Mo- uh, to Norwell a bunch of times and um, we've met a bunch of times out there and finally got to uh, make this one happen. So definitely uh, dived into some four wheel stuff, which is, uh, I guess, not my main area of expertise, but I uh, always enjoy learning uh, about the different sports and, uh, and just, I guess, hearing a lot about Paul's uh, crazy life that he has lived. So before we get into that, though, I am just going to bring you some messages uh, from our awesome sponsors. And the first sponsor today is the guys at Manscaped. And have you got Bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you will have the best kept nut sack on the cul-de-sac. Save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code GYPSYGANG for 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped. Whether you're looking to go as bald as an eagle or if you just need a safe little trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. The grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. Inside you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 and this is the heart of uh, the Performance Package. The electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. It's designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to a ceramic blade and advanced skin safe technology. Um, it's basic landscaping, guys. When you trim the hedges, the uh, the tree stands taller, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, the second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. Uh, this fine-tuned nose and ear trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Very underrated product, in my opinion. Uh, and then, you know, put some step in your pep with the Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and Crop Reviver, as well as the Spray-On Testy Toner. With the performance package, you get two free gifts, the shed travel bag and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxes. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GYPSYGANG at manscaped.com. 
Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush really needs some help. Uh, we're also brought to you by the legends at MX Store. You can head to mxstore.com.au, Australia's largest range of parts and accessories. Um, we've got a bunch of cool content coming with the guys at MX Store. Uh, they were instrumental in our 350 build. And uh, I'll be doing a quick little stop as per usual, the old Friday Arvo MX Store stop uh, as we're racing the Transmoto in Gympie this weekend. So mxstore.com.au. And if you order before 2 p.m., you get same-day shipping. We're also brought to you by the guys at Boost Mobile. You can head to boost.com.au and browse their epic uh, prepaid plans. Uh, I'm actually just on the website right now. I'm going to click into plans um, and I'm going to run through a couple of the options. Uh, five gigabytes is just going to cost you 20 bucks and that is going to get you 28 days uh, to use that. Um, then you go up $30 gets you 40 gigs, $40 gets you 50 gigs, $50 gets you 70 gig. And $70 gets you 130 gig uh, to use in a month. And that's all off a $2 SIM. Um, you can bring your number with you. Um, there's no lock-in contracts and it's on the full Telstra mobile network. We've been using Boost products uh, almost since the day we started this podcast and we have never looked back. Uh, and I know a bunch of our listeners have as well. We're also brought to you by the guys at crushoz.com. Uh, just head on to their website and just take a look at their epic range uh this is an aussie company by riders for risers for riders um and they are the leaders in premium bike care uh they do chain lube as well they do their trademark foaming rapid wash um their premium bike wash their waterless bike wash they've got drivetrain degreaser they've got rotor revive they've got everything um i recommend if you're new to uh the whole crush ecosystem just get yourself a bike care bucket um that's kind of like the way to get in and then you just replace the products um as you need them so crushoz.com is where you're going to go we're also brought to you by the guys at fist handwear the legends at Rival Inc., which also smashed the 350 kit. Uh, RivalIncDesignCo.com is the uh, website there. And last but not least, the guys at Tropical Auto Group. They are the leaders in new Ford, Isuzu, Mitsubishi, and Kia sales. They're up in Rockhampton. But if you call Kyle, tell him you're one of the Gypsy Gang, you're going to get looked after. You're going to get a $500 gift voucher. Uh, and these guys are really pushing hard to support the motocross community. So support the crew that support you. All right, that's it for the ads today. Enjoy this podcast with the dude, Paul Morris. From the gang Gypsy. Gang and they come and get Gypsy. Gang and they come and get Gypsy. Gang. I'm at a Gypsy. Gang. I'm at a Gypsy. Yeah, full. He didn't really want to race. Yeah, right. Up until probably cool. three years ago. So, are we good? Yeah, oh. it's a bit. He's a bit different to everyone else. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's crazy. So, uh, Paul Morris is joining us on the Gypsy Tales podcast. The uh, the dude is that a is that a nod to Big Lebowski at all? Uh, it probably is if you go back that far. But um, the long the short story is, I went to America when I was about nineteen, twenty years of age. Yeah. Uh, late 80s and everyone used to use the name dude i've yeah. been there for two weeks and come back and started calling everyone dude so, oh really yeah, hey dude hey dude and then i got stuck with the name so yeah right okay yeah. The, the most aussies i don't think have seen big lebowski yeah okay i think it's like a 
bit of a American cult yeah, kind of. Knows that? How, how what age group though? Maybe it's just my age yeah. group. Yeah, yeah. Might have be. just been missed on like my <laughs> my generation. But yeah, well, I remember my uh, my like ex girlfriend when I lived in America. Her family. It was just like one of the first things that we did as a family. They were like, "You've never seen Big Lebowski," and uh, and then from then on. For the like whole time I lived in the states after that, I just got so many references, like cultural references you that got people a rug fetish now. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's just all those references that were just missed on me for years. Yeah, yeah. So and I don't know that many people here that even know that movie. It's a cool movie. So uh, before we started, we were just talking about about Nash. We might as well just go there now. You're saying that he didn't even want to race up until a few years ago. No, about three years now. He's been racing. Yeah. Um, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're with um, Brock was running a Super Three car at at uh, Winton, and there were some XLs racing at the same time, and and the uh, Benny Grice was racing in the XLs, which is Alan Grice's kid, and he come back and said, "Oh, I think I wouldn't mind having a go on one of them." So, and then just from there, yeah, just 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 went from there. And, and so you weren't like obviously you weren't pushing him to race no nah, not at all yeah that's a so you get when you've got an ex-racer you either get the ex-racers that are just keen as mustard for their it's almost like they don't want their racing career to stop so then they go to their kids and then you just go all in on your kids it's not a bad thing uh but that's like one style and then I, then there's the other style of parent that they spent so much of their life at tracks and they know the money and they know the grind and they know everything that goes into it and then they're almost like actively steering their kid away from it so yeah, were you in of any that. of them camps uh i was in the camp where look i got him dri- like he's been driving ever since he could walk you know driving things around the farm and you know drifting cars and obviously at norwell he'd always had a car he could muck around in, but he never really wanted to race yeah and really made a, a point of not wanting to race because people are going oh you're going to race when you get older he goes no nah, no nah, i'm not interested yeah but when he became interested, I didn't make it easy for him. Like, I found him a car that wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> he went to the track the first time. He spent more time working on it than driving it. I was sort of like, a, you know. Because that's a good way to see if he's actually keen. That, see if he's actually keen. Yeah. Yeah, and he just he just kept going. So, yeah. And w- was there like a hangover effect of your career where you were just like, fuck, I don't want to do this again? Uh, at club level? pretty good fun you know yeah. you get there with your kid you, you know you're just banging around you know they win a race or two at club level you think oh okay there's something here and you take the next step and you go okay you're still going all right and now it's at the stage where it's nearly time for me to step back yeah right because you, you you get emotionally involved about, yeah. about what's going on it, it's quite different so i've had some you know i've had some great drivers drive for me and young blokes and never really got emotionally attached you know it's like yeah it's business do, go out and do the job that's what you got to do and when it's your own kid you're like mm. oh am i yelling at him or I doing something so that 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 relationship you know father and son being so you're you know, obviously pretty close then if that's like uh something where you want to really protect it in a sense i don't know what it is you just get nervous you get you get a, it's not the same feeling like when brock drove for me or anton drove for me i you know just the nerves or the that that sort of feeling never came into it. It was yeah. like we're here to race. He's going to win the race, or he's going to crash it, or he's you know that yeah. what what happens is going to happen. We're just going to keep going. I never really got worried for the actual person because it's your own kid. You like you just get emotionally tied up in it. So yeah. it's at the point now where I reckon he needs to go and 
go and drive for someone else. You yeah. Know? And what yeah. what's that look like? You reckon? Um, yeah, there's it's it'll be one of the other Super Two teams that are out there. We're running our own car at the moment. Um, first year, that's pretty good. It's in our workshop. He does a fair bit of the work on it. You know, if it crashes, it he fixes it. Yeah. It's a foundation year. Um, but I think you know it's time for him to 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 go somewhere else next year, which we've been been speaking about. That's pretty cool, man. On, like honestly, there's there's not. I don't think there'd be a lot of parents that'd be in the position that you're in, operating race teams and and with the experience that you've got in running all these different cars to where you'd actually want to hand over the program to somebody else. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I think it, I think it's good because um, it, it, you'll see exactly where he is. You know, it's, uh, I call it you know BMX dad syndrome. Yeah, everyone yeah. everyone thinks their, their kids the best or whatever and i'm probably more the other way you know probably maybe too hard on him sometimes so yeah yeah there's uh mike sleater <laughs> did the podcast the other day and he was talking about the whole mini dad thing yeah, like yeah. when you race with the you know you got your kid and he said uh lose like you win and win like you lose <laughs> and i was like fuck that's such a really good piece of wisdom for a parent to take in because like you said that bmx dad in motocross we call them mini dads yeah, that's mini just dads, such yeah. a real thing it's it's there and it's um you know you don't know you're doing it right mm. you don't know you're doing it so you sometimes you know that comes out and you look back over the weekend and go oh okay you've got it really got it like if, if he's in trouble and he's got to go to the steward's office like oh, i'm getting involved in that and i'm like no not yeah, me yeah 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 <laughs> but if it was one of my other drivers, I'd be you know straight in there, right? Let's go and sort this out. But it's just going to come across the wrong way if it's the dad. Whether so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there's always the thing too when you've got a kid that comes from a, a famous dad or an ex, you know, winning dad where they probably there's a big bit of maybe like not resentment, but there's um, there's a shadow and there's shoes to fill, and then it's like until you end up doing your own thing completely, you always are in that shadow. And then you know some guys surpass what their dad did, and yep. then it's like their dad was in the shadow. Like that's an awkward kind of balance. I think that's probably why Jack Doohan did the four wheels instead of two wheels. I mean, that, he's so so talented. But could you imagine being Mick Doohan's kid and wanting to race a MotoGP bike? Nah. <laughs> no, it, How? Well, I think in that case, you wouldn't want your kid on a, on a bike, you know? They fall off, yeah, they get well, hurt. I think that's <laughs> what it was. <laughs> so um, the car thing works works pretty good, doesn't it, for those guys? that's that's It's enough separation there. Yeah. But you still got that, that motorsporting brain in, in your house you know that's, yeah it's a pretty cool thing so i wonder if nash had any of that you know initially because he wasn't you know into doing the racing thing for so long to where he just didn't want to be compared or just didn't want to maybe deal with I think whatever a, that I think, a, think a bit of that for sure but it's amazing how much if you've grown up around motorsport how much you know without actually being taught it what uh what did Roland Dane call it? Uh, learning by osmosis. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you go, how do you know that? And you go, I don't know. They're yeah. Just, just around it the whole time, so. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. My, um, so my girlfriend, we, she's just moved here from, from overseas and um, she's never been around bikes at all. And then even we went to Conadale yesterday to do this KDM launch. And then we were there two weeks prior for this race. So she's been to three tracks in her entire life and two of them were at the same place. Right. And then yesterday she's like, is the track any good today? And I'm like, not really, to be honest. Like, it's pretty shit. And uh, she's like, yeah, it doesn't look like the other day. And the first day we went there was just like 
the surfer pipeline conditions, you know, just like six foot offshore wind. Yeah, okay. like it was just as good as it gets. And that was her first experience. And then it was just so obvious, you know. Well, so it's like good. just picking up just these different little subtleties that you don't have to be told. So you imagine applying that to your son who's yeah. been around for so long. I mean, he's got almost like a black belt in motorsports without ever you know doing motorsports formally yeah and that and he and he knows everyone too you know because mm. he's grown up in pit lane it's he's got a relationship with everyone, everyone and probably a there. different relationship too because yeah. it's never been competitive in never sense. been competitive but any team owner or anything he's he, he's known since he was since he's been born so it's, it's 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 an interesting one so it's all there for him to work out so and so what's he want to do do you reckon what's like the trajectory Oh, I think he wants to race full time. He'd like to get the supercars, so yeah. that's that, that's his goal. There's uh, when when I had Brock uh, on yeah. here, we were talking about, I guess the the way that younger kids uh, kind of aspiring to V8s, and maybe it wasn't like that in the past. And nowadays, I think with Brock, this is me pretty out, yeah. on the outer. You know, you see a young kid like Brock get basically the premier drive in supercars as did the super three then the super two and then bang it's like it was that a feeder system for a super young kid that hasn't really happened that much before and it almost seems like he's kind of set a new little trajectory for maybe younger guys that looked at f3 and then f2 and to get into f1 and maybe supercars wasn't looked at in that same way before yeah i think well i always tell everyone reverse engineer your budget because mm-hmm. I get all the everyone coming to what should I do? I go, how much money you got? You yeah, know? true. Way. If you ain't got twenty million ready to blow, don't even go to Europe. You know. So Brock Brock was in that 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 cat that category where they had enough money to probably if they got it all right, they might get through. Yeah, right. And if you take that back a bit further, he comes from a his dad Paul Feeney knows about it racing. You know, yeah. so grew up in a racing household knew what they wanted to do, had a good relationship with me where we trusted each other and, right, we've got to get this done, you know. And then um, straight away I knew some, I had someone pretty special on my hands with Brock. Like it was... And talent, <laughs> was it talent-wise, work ethic? Uh, you, every box you could you could tick, yeah. he, he, he had it. He had it, like in, um, first one to turn up to work, yeah. last one to leave. The cars were always clean. You know, turned up, his clothes were clean. Uh, always rang and thank, thanked you. Knows that I'm an old guy and I don't text, so he calls me. You know, he just understands that whole facet of the business, and no one taught him that. That's just from hanging around his dad, I reckon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and then um, you know, Roland Dane saw what saw that as well. Obviously, everything just lined up with with Jamie wanting to retire. So it's just one of those perfect storms and you, you you're probably not going to see that come come along again for a long time i don't think you, so you don't you think that's more of like a one-off like a perfect storm type of situation that it won't be like the new model because like in in motocross for example that is the model and it's like the tried and tested model is you get the young kid that's killing it in the amateur ranks yeah and then so you'd call you know, like your Loretta Lynn's championship. They, well, they got the B class, the A class as an amateur, and then they go pro, right? And so you get like a Ryan Villapoto wins everything as an amateur, comes straight into the pro ranks, and like he's a, a kind of top dude. And then he, again, they've got like the lights class and then the open class. So there's like this kind of tier system. And you just see these young guys that 
once that formula was figured out that this is how you, you go from A to B to C to D to E and then you're a 450 champion. That yep. model has just been, you know, followed. But it wasn't like that until, you know, you sort of saw one guy do it and another guy do it. Because it's almost like, like you said, there's all these things that had to come together. But, I mean, you know, maybe people start to manufacture it those same kind of, um, like put together that same recipe in a sense. Yeah, I think, I think the models there and the thing you have with, especially touring car racing, you can have an incredibly long career. Mm. You can race up into your you know, mid-40s. mid, mid 40s. So the model's there, people see it, I need to make those steps. I make all the steps, but if there's no spot, there's no spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so who, who's going to not, you know, there's only 20, 25 seats. Mm. That's that's the issue. So, um, you know, if... if the, the next cycle of good drivers to retire is probably going to be someone like Davo, who's in his 40s. Then That's so <laughs> true, eh? <laughs> right? That creates, because in the, the motocross world, 27, you're you, old. You're beat up, right? You're broke, your yeah, bones are aching, yeah, yeah. you're like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Hope I put enough money away. Those guys just keep on trucking. And then when you're done doing that, you go and co-drive for another yeah, true, four eh? or five years. So there's just not that much that much opportunity and that's the only category in australia where you're going to get paid to race yeah right yeah yeah okay all right i hadn't thought of that element because essentially yeah you have to wait for someone it's like musical chairs and you're just not even going to get a start well formula one's got the same problem too right yeah yeah you got someone like oscar piastri who's just blazed through everything and like no drive Mm. yeah that (laughs) that is crazy how that one worked out because you get he's like a phenom kind of talent and he's got a signature to drive for a team and then there's just nowhere for him to go no one for him to go and it's 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 you know that that he has to get a seat next year or the whole system doesn't work does it yeah 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 well they're even talking about letting him go to williams maybe for a year or something like that they've got to do something uh, for me formula one has to do something because they've got this this feeder category f3 f2 oh go to f1 hang on you don't go to f1 why is everyone going to spend money doing all the other categories? So. Yeah, because you it's a pay-to-play system right up until F1. And I mean, yeah. even some guys even in some F1. Some guys in the back of the grid are bringing yeah. budget. And that's probably there's probably 10 guys in supercars that are, that are bringing budget. Whether they're new guys coming in, have managed to build up some sponsorship around them, or old guys hanging on, you know, that have mm. got good commercial backing from sponsors and that. They like to see them still in the sport, so... How do you fix it? Have you ever thought about how that, that gets Yeah, it's, e- it's easy to fix. You have to make the cars cheaper to run. Yeah. So, and then you have to put, you have to design a car that puts value back into the race teams. You know, you can't, in Australia, we can't have a six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollar race car that costs a hundred grand a weekend to run because, mm. and you need more of them on the grid. It's Can, Is there is there space in supercars for more cars? No. Okay. No. So, but is that in terms of like oh, you could. the, the you race could on track the grid, or, but or the yeah? Well, what the the new deal with the teams is they they get a they get turned up they get some money to turn up right. Mm. So it's around five hundred six hundred grand a year per car guaranteed start money. Yeah. If more car comes in, they just got to keep chopping up the pie. So uh, the that, te- the teams are protecting their model. They have got these cars that are too expensive to run. They're, you know, oh, if I can, you know the. The most you can probably get from a good sponsor, maybe one point five, two million bucks. So they're trying to piece it all together. Yeah. And then 
a lot of the teams are running around going, oh, I need a fast guy and I also need him to bring some money. You know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 you just need to start again. And the new car they've, they've come up with, the Gen 3, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't done nothing to put some, some value back into the race teams where they can actually put the best driver in the car. And, and so when you job. say like value for race teams, what does that mean in your mind? Uh, the, ca- the capital cost of being involved too much yeah yeah okay. so this this new car that's coming out by the time you buy it put all your spares packaged together and have enough rims and tires and spare parts you're going to be up a million bucks right yeah yeah that that should be 300 grand is that doable to <laughs> yeah. still have yeah of course it is and how yeah. so how does how do you do that just design the car that's not as complicated and doesn't need as many people to run it and yeah so when the uh the V8 supercars is interesting to me like, yeah. because Maddie is Alpine Group, which does the social media of like Chaz and then they've yeah. got like Triple Eight and they're, they're like very deep in the industry. And I've just never really got like into it in a sense, even as a, as a fan. And I mean, there's every year I say like I really want to because I love the dudes. Like there's some guys in there that are just awesome guys and you know i spend time i'll ride with gears when you know the season's off and that sort of stuff so it's like i've got horses in the race but for whatever reason it just never really grabs my attention long enough to i guess like know this much about it but it's like it's australia's premier series and it's it's me i should want to know more i guess is what i'm trying to say but for whatever reason they're just there's missing something that would suck me in yeah well if so the one thing that does suck everyone in and everyone knows about is Bathurst, right? Mm. So without Bathurst, the whole for me, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, that's like the linchpin that, almost. That's what keeps it, you know, the history of Peter Brock and Dick Johnson and the teams and, and most people still watch Bathurst and know about Bathurst, but you know, we, we've lost our way a bit with how, that's, how touring car racing Australia is now. I think it's, you know, it's become a bit elitist. Yeah. It's, it's not on free-to-air TV. You don't see drivers doing commercials on yeah, you know, that yeah. oil anymore. You do on a bit of socials and that. That's taken over a bit. But it's... Um, it's kind of like lost on the mainstream in a sense nowadays. Copy that. Yeah, it has. It and, has for sure. And so there was when we were talking before about how long the drivers stay in, I wonder if that's almost got something to do with it is that you don't have, I guess, a fresh cycle of guys that need to make something of themselves not just as a race car driver but as a personality in in general because i think if you look at yeah well there's there's probably a, a lot of that and then also if you're a top guy in the sport that well this actually just feeds back into that point there but if you're a top guy in the sport and you've made I don't know, maybe what would be like an a up-end figure for like a top driver in Australia? A million bucks a year? Yeah, so if you're making a million bucks a year plus some sponsor stuff on the side, like after 15 years of doing it, you're pretty solid. You are. And you don't really need to, to your point, put yourself out there that much and you can kind of, you know, step back a little bit and do a little bit less and like you said, not take the commercials, not not put yourself out there in that public eye because you kind of just don't have to, you know, you can almost just rock up, be in the semi when you need to be in a semi, do the autographs when you need to do the autographs and then you can kind of just go back on your way without all the trouble, you know. But it's almost like the younger hungry guys that are trying to make something of themselves 
they maybe provide a little bit more entertainment or want to get their personality out there and, and maybe that's what's missing in a sense. Yeah, you're spot on. And the reason they are, for, to get through, you can't really have anything go wrong, you know. Mm. If I just be vanilla and I sit on the fence, I'm not going to upset a sponsor. I'm not going to upset yeah. someone. And if I'm fast enough, I'll get picked up. But the, the only guy that really pokes his personality out is Chaz, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's the favourite. Like, he's one right? of the favourites. But if you're fast and win races, you, oh, I always say you can do whatever you want. If you're yeah. not, yeah. better have the normal haircut and you better look normal. Yeah, but you know, if you're fast, you can have blue hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's not there's one Chaz that acts the way that he there, does in the all, series. I know a lot of people in that that grid, and they've got all really good personalities, but they're just, you know, that they they're too afraid to to say something or do something. It could be commercial suicide for them. You know, it's like oh, I might yeah. upset the sponsor, I might upset the team, or I might upset what that sponsor might think, and. That, that's what it is yeah and I guess there's like a bunch of different reasons for that in terms of maybe more like you said becomes a little bit more elitist like the image has to be protected a little bit more social media I mean that's one of the things that blew blow, well, blows my mind in this building in particular because I see a lot of the stuff that Maddie and the crew do it's just some of the crazy social media shit that V8 Supercars has to deal with. They and like the, I don't know, just the carry on in comment sections and how like censored everything has to be in people's comment sections. It's a, it actually is a pretty gnarly environment. Yeah, from a from the governing from the V8 Super Supercars point of view, how they. Well, yeah. So they, I know, controlling they, and propagandering. Well, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But like, yeah, fill me in. Yeah, it's 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 controlled what what they say and what they do, and um, yeah, it, there needs to be more mainstream media, more media to actually reporting on stuff. So, like, if you go to a NASCAR race, um, there'd be fifteen journalists there, and the, from yeah. every newspaper, everything, wanting to know what's what's going on, and and. If you go to a supercar race, you can't even get a journalist there, you know? They've got to fly them in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And pay for them to be there. Yeah, really? It's gotten yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it just seems like... And again, I feel like I'm a prime candidate for someone that should be a gnarly V8 supercar fan and it, there just seems to be something that's kind of missing the mark. Yeah, well, rivalry is not there. Yeah, okay. You know, they, drivers are too scared. Like, you take... Um, Sh I don't know if you watched that race in in Northern Territory where Shane dive-bombed Davo and hit him, pushed him out of the way and nah. and it was like just nothing, you know. Oh, you hit me. I would have been. Yeah, right, well. That, that guy ain't finishing the next race, you know. Well, He's not going to win the championship. The, the, the clip <laughs> of uh, you and your teammate in, uh, I guess, was it 94? And then you just, become, oh, yeah, like, you yeah. just put it on your Instagram yeah, the other day. Yeah. Like, I don't know that that shit happens these days. Yeah, no, it doesn't. They're all too, too scared, but... Um, yeah, that that's what you miss is rivalry. People calling people out. People are like, okay, mate, you 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 have me off. You're going off. Yeah, you're not you're not making the next race. Yeah, and I mean, there's like <laughs> arguments to and uh, like for and against that. No, I, I guess won't it, do it, mate, because the cars are too expensive. The team owner goes, don't fuck my million dollar car, mate. 
yeah that's all right there there goes that but even you look at like origin now you know i mean how good this last origin this year was so sick like actually saw a punch up in it I it mean, was good right i don't know if that makes me a fucking dickhead <laughs> the fact that i was like excited no, you're not that a there dickhead. Was, a, it was excited like yeah, this is that good was a watch. real fucking match you know yeah it was a real match and then i watched it too and i haven't watched a rugby league game in a long time but yeah. i've watched another five when it's been on the tv since because you're like oh, i might see something you know hey that's their bathurst <laughs> yeah it is their bathurst yeah and i think bathurst has such a, a huge name in australia it's got like that household brand kind of feel to it but in like it is losing a little bit of that maybe i think the, the free to air thing's crazy that it's not it's it's only on fox these days uh selected races so i think six out of the 12 races are, are free to air yeah some of the key ones yeah bathurst still free to air and always will be but you just you lose that continuity you know yeah to go yeah. to go to pay pay tv and not be on free to air is like the the teams and the and the supercars got rewarded for it with it with a check but the long-term damage to the sport I, I don't think you ever get that back yeah yeah and everyone's switching to streaming now so you've you've sort of been in this void where you know you need you need free to air you need you need streaming what's what's pay tv yeah who's yeah. watching that now yeah yeah well, people are cancelling their fox subscriptions flat out yeah 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 the the landscape's changing there yeah in a in a massive way um but yeah i guess the fact that bathurst is still free i wonder like what you said about you've watched five origin games i wonder mm. if there's an uptake in tv ratings for just the supercast championship oh, post, for sure. post yeah you get, you get a flow on yeah but people used to, like, we haven't raced at Queensland Raceway, which is our local crack where, you know, that that's the heartland of of the sport, you know. That's where the people that, you know, that that drive a Holden Commodore or have, a, have, a, or have one in the shed now as a classic car and, and you know, they've the, the truck drivers, the, the, the blue-collar people of Australia, it's their sport, right? Yeah, yeah. Supercars is their sport sport we, we forgot about those people mm. we're more worried about the people in the corporate box yeah 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 no and and you're right man like i remember being a kid and watching like we'd we'd watch so much uh supercar or well, v8s in, yeah. in that that era and it really was just like the every man you know like the the tradie kind of guy and the like you said that blue collar worker that was the representation of them and i think footy was that as well you're probably either like footy or or V8s, but um, but yeah, it, it I guess it has left the like the culture. Maybe you could but say in a sense. Well, if you go back to V8s, right? People still call it V8s. Yeah, oh, I was at the V8s. You talk to a politician in towns when they go, "Oh, the V8s are coming." Yeah. You talk to anyone overseas, Formula One drivers, they call them V8 supercars. Yeah, our marketing people in Australia decided they're going to call it a supercar. Yeah, right. What do you know? What the reasoning was there? Oh, they wanted to transition away from V8s and we're going to go V6s and have turbos and all this stuff. Yeah. But so they got rid of the V8 moniker. You had so much invested Equity, in that yeah, brand yeah, in that yeah. V8, and they don't even use it anymore. Like, are they still a V8? Yeah, they always will be. They, the first thing you would do if you're a marketing manager who had anything to do with that business is put the V8 back in front of it. Oh man, a hundred percent. That that is global. Imagine the T-shirts you'd sell. Oh, yeah, 100%. Hey. Just go back to old school tees that you guys used to run back in the day. It'd probably be the top-selling merch line. Yeah, and 
people still call it V8s. Yeah, oh, 100%. Except the, except the people in the championship. Yeah, so can you explain then to, can, to me the... Sorry, this is just becoming a personal yeah, V8 good. supercar education session. Yeah, good. Um, there was a, a bid to change hands, right? At some, or there were, there is new owners that took place. So, like, what was that landscape like then? Yeah, if you go back, you've got to go back right to early 90s. Um, the team's... All the teams are pretty well funded because everyone had cigarette money, okay? Mm. So we just used to turn up and race. Yep. Everyone yep. made money. And then um, Tony Cochran come along with his company. Yep. And they took 25% ownership of the series and gave the team 75%. So all the, all the car owners had 75%. Yep. Um, that rocked along pretty good for 15 years, the glory days of racing. Where so is that the golden period? That was probably the golden period. You had big manufacturer support. You probably had Holden and Ford spending twenty million bucks a year each in the sport. That's sick. That's yeah, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, you know, the, all the drivers are on good money. The you know, it, it, it was the gold. It had big, big, big um, sponsors involved. Yeah. Um, and that relationship with uh, probably run run its course, and then the business was sold to Archer Capital, a private equity firm. So, Where were they from, out of curiosity? Uh, they were Australian-based. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they had a portfolio investments. One of the one of the investments in that that um, same portfolio was Red Rooster or something. So they yeah, they just bought, bought that and said, yeah. oh, it will buy supercars. So they bought... Um, the teams were left with 25%, and uh. then Arch Capital had 75%. So you sort of swung away from... The teams having a controlling interest to a to a to a you know, minor interest, yeah, and that's it, it. Didn't really work, you know. Like how the board and how the sport was run, you had two people from SEL Sports and Entertainment Limited that yep. owned twenty five percent. They were the rainmakers. That was Tony Cocker and his crew. You know, they dreamt up all the good ideas. Yeah, and the teams put on the show yep. and ran the technical side of the sport. So you had four four team owners on the board, uh, two people from SEL. And it worked pretty well. So, yeah. and then so the, this private equity company comes in, comes in seventy five percent. Yeah, yeah, they train wrecked the thing. You know, it didn't work. Um, and then it got sold again recently to um, to that race consortium where they took all the teams. So the teams don't have any ownership anymore. Yeah, the race own one hundred percent of the championship, and they just pay a flat fee to each car to turn up. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. You think, and so you've been on both sides. You've been a driver and then a team Yeah, I've been a, a driver, team owner. team owner. I was on the board for six years at that period where... When Tony board, was on? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty dynamic and you had some pretty cool people on that board. You had Larry Perkins, myself, Roland Dane, Ross Stone. Yeah. You had you had people that went racing for a... That was their business. Yeah, they, that was their life. That was their life. But you'd have robust and uh, arguments about things, but whenever you come out of that boardroom, you were... A united front, and that's yeah, yeah that's how, you, how it actually got shit yeah, done. Yeah, you'd, you'd race the shit out of each other, and but you knew you needed each other to race against, so you had lots of mutual respect, you know. You didn't, yeah, 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 okay, that, that makes sense. So, <laughs> yeah. all right, so then this year, or like when this new bid was going, yeah, so Peter Adderton tried to put in his bid to, yep. to buy it as well. Yep. I was um, involved in that too with Pete, uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so then. So that wasn't successful. Like, what? So who's the new company that owned it? And then why do you think that? The, I just paid more for it. 
Yeah, yeah, right. So we'd run the numbers and thought that's what we reckon it's worth. That's how we do it. We put our bid in. They paid more for it. Yeah. What did it go for in the end, roughly, do they know? Uh, I think it was... Probably, uh, I reckon it would have gone... I don't know exactly because I know what our bid is, but it would have been more, more than that. But it would have would have had to be been $60 million or something. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so what's that? So no, basically 100% owned and controlled and then the the teams the just teams get, yeah they just get a turn up fee guaranteed turn up fee and so what's wrong with that model like why is that model broken um i think there's there's no uh the, obviously the relationship between the team owners and the people that own the own the series there's there doesn't seem to be any any conduit mm, to, to keep yeah, them yeah. on the on the same level so yeah. that that's what it looks like to me from the outside yeah, so it's almost like a, it's a like a principal agent problem. So like we basically had this conversation the other day, right? So it's like in the world Supercross, so Tony Cochran's actually involved in SX yep. Global now. They've actually done a similar thing where like they're giving teams like the, or the teams the own their equity, like yep. so it's a franchise. Yep. So the teams do have their own skin in the game, yeah, uh, and their own ownership. Um, yeah, the teams in Supercars do have a charter, but they just don't have a any real say on how the business is run so, yeah, yeah yeah so basically when uh so ktm has like stopped cooper webb from racing sx global and then so there's like some back background stuff at play in terms of some political connections that want to keep one series and not another and blah 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 but then the problem then becomes like this principal agent problem. So let's go to Cooper Webb. So is he a independent contractor that is his own agent and is free to do what he wants to do? Or is he essentially like owned by the factory? Like they're his boss and they can't... Depends what his contract says, right? Yeah, but I mean, even even then it's like... Had, I guess just like having that uh, having that contract you could say well it's just this is the contract that yep. it covers this and anything outside of this I'm still free to to do and then it's like well no because then you've got this conflicts with this part of the contract so it does get pretty messy like even if you've got of you've got a contract there's always different angles that you can come at certain things and that's why the world's run by lawyers nowadays right but it almost seems like a the same sort of problem where the teams by having that that ownership it's like very clear that it's like we are not just under you in yeah, we're, this we're like in where this. we are our own agent you know the better the company does the better and every, then it, everyone does right yeah so and, and everyone's got, got a level of skin in the game now they've got a flat turn up fee which is looks good but you know the before if the if the bottom line of the company wasn't going good you, your dividend would go down yeah yeah so everyone it kept everyone on the same page, you know. They wanted wanted things to be successful, but you you look like um you walk into the supercar paddock and how that looks now. It's like to me, it's like walking into a hotel that you went to five years ago that was really nice, and you walk in now and it's like a shit fight, right? The light globes haven't been changed, and, you know, just blood on the sheets. No, not that bad. But, you know, you can tell it's just badly yeah. run. You know, that's. That's that's the best analogy I can give to it. Like like you think about Super Two, right? The second most important category there, the the technical scales that weigh the cars haven't worked for two race meetings in a row. <laughs> like, Seems pretty important, or what? <laughs> well, you can't even weigh the cars. So you know, there's the the, the things are just a mess. 
just housekeeping just house just general housekeeping stuff is just like not there so and then if the teams don't have any control or any say and any pull then how do they fix that particular problem well normally a team owner would blow up and say this needs to get fixed and and then it'd go to the board and then the board could vote no it'd just get done you know you'd ring the guy and go hey this needs sorting out and things would just get done and people would pitch in and make things happen but it's 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 just not the case it's not the case and so let's go to a world where your bid with your group of guys was uh successful yeah did you did you have like obviously you would have had a strategy is it public like the strategy and how you no, wanted to go back confidential, but i can talk about what else like so what 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 did a perfect world look like for v8s going forward with like you guys owning it i guess uh well the the way i looked at that if if we had to we could operate it the mm. people that we had involved had had the experience where where you know hang on a minute if if some key staff aren't there or whatever, there's enough expertise in our ownership group where we can drive the ship, mm. right? Oh, we've got a marketing problem and whatever. Okay, Pete Adderton, that's that's you. Okay, yeah. we've got a problem with race operations and the team owners and whatever. Yeah, I can roll up my sleeves and go and sort that out. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we we want to talk to a new tyre supplier. You know, oh, okay, Mick Doohan, can can you ring up the bloke from Michelin? Yeah, I got his number in my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had people, and then we had Alan Gow, who's one. Oh, so the, was Mick involved in it yeah, as well? Yeah, Fuck, they so, blew it, man. Like. So we had Alan Gow, who ran the British Touring Car Championship for twenty years, sold it to World Sports Group for for a huge amount of money. They crashed the thing into the fence, and he bought it back again and built it up again. So you had people that could actually go and drive the ship. Okay, you know, if someone's at the moment, it looks like you got people in charge of that thing. That if someone's bullshitting them that works from they don't know they're getting bullshitted mm. yeah 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 fuck they blew it i didn't know how deep the i guess like the players that were involved in that that, that was bid. the key that, thing that for me you know like it's like you know what we roll our sleeves up if no one turns up to work the thing will still run yeah because we'll yeah. run it yeah yeah fuck they blew it dude that's such a bummer that seems like a real opportunity miss for the sport uh well don't know mate they might it's that that was our thing that's what we were about so yeah. um but it, it didn't happen so were you guys planning on going back to a, a a shared equity model with with the teams no that that actual giving the teams the guarantee was actually our, our idea not somehow the other the other the other bid the other side got <laughs> got, got, got our whole yeah. idea yeah right but it, it's probably the thing that's going to bring them undone yeah okay and so you guys didn't think that going back to that kind of model what made sense or um not not really because i what what i really wanted to do was get some major cost cuttings within how the, how the car was built and how the car was run and how the how the how the racing went on you know i wanted to make the car inexpensive enough that you could have a spare one in the truck you know mm. it gives his fires down the inside of the bloke and knocks knocks the shit out of the car which all the fans want to see yeah 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 pull the back up out brother let's keep going you know you you need to bring the the capital cost of going racing back enough and what you have with the teams all the teams are engineering companies and they have been all the good teams are and um yeah so if you're not like a hardcore engineering company you can't be competitive you can't be competitive and they built their business model on selling um expensive parts to other teams you know so their reluctance to come back to something like that mm. would would um, to me would would 
means that if just we just owned it, we could just do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the it's like a top heavy thing. So like you get such a concentrated. I don't. No one wants to give up their. Yeah, and there's a couple people at the top that have met, like literally clawed their way over years to get there, and then it'd be. But the name's in it. Triple Eight Race Engineering. Yeah. If they can't race engineer, how are they going to make money? Yeah, yeah. So that still would be a level of of race engineering that went into it. But I guess you're just bringing the cost down because the, now that I think of that. You watch like Jack of MotoGP. He, yep. There's a spare bike in the garage in Quali. Those boys fucking send it. They like, send it. None of them are scared the to throw the thing down the road. Like, <laughs> they're not dude, worried about Jack it. Jack crashed fucking twice when we were at Le Mans. Like, just two race suits, two helmets, two like two everything, two bikes. Just threw the thing down the road. Does not give a fuck. <laughs> That's not the same thing in the in V8s, is it? No, it's not. And it's you know that that analogy is you know the supercars traditionally if you crash a car you got to fix the car but if you brought it back to where the the, the capital cost of owning a spare car like nascar do it mm. they so do what's it. a nascar worth uh their new cars probably obviously bigger money but yeah like their a, new cars around probably 400 without the motor wow so v8 supercar is more expensive yeah. than nascar yeah mm. yeah yeah right. Okay, so it's the, what you're saying is not this isn't an unrealistic far cry thing that would be that crazy to implement. Like NASCAR make way more money and have way more teams and way more everything. And if they've got a car that's cheaper than this model, yeah, it actually got, the, work. The number one thing with the new car should have been it needs to be under four hundred grand and it needs to be easy to repair and. We need a spare, like there needs to be a spare there. That's what I would have had. Like between two cars, you can have a spare car sitting somewhere. If you have a major, you can get back out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and you see it, like like Scott Pye has a crash, and the biggest story is how the how the hell's the car gonna the team gonna repair the car in two weeks to get to the next track? And they're putting pictures of it on the jig and all the parts bolting on, and you add up, oh, it cost me two hundred grand to fix the car. Like, yeah, that's not sustainable. Does a person on the hill or on TV give a shit about that? No. I don't care. No, if you gave them a choice of, hey, the story for this week is going to be if they can fix someone's car or there was fucking nine crazy passes that three dudes ended up in the wall. Like, there's probably a lot more juice in, in uh, to Way squeeze more. there, right? Way more. And if you're watching it, you don't care what shock absorber they've got. No, you don't give a fuck. You don't care what gearbox they've got. Well, because it's not a relatable car. And most people, when they go see it, look inside a supercar, look at it and go, what the hell's inside that thing? That looks nothing like my road car. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that the, in the bike world, it's way more uh, you're way more interested in what people are running because you can go buy an FMF pipe and then you can put it on your KTM or you can buy your Shamira or a Pro Circuit and put it yeah, on it's your. Yeah, it's it's catalog bike, right? But in the car racing world, like yeah, people aren't going to give a fuck in the same way because not anymore. People used to hot up their cars like that, didn't they? They'd go and put a yellow tear ahead on or on it, but now it's four wheel drives, right? No one's yeah, or it's people drifting. Or there's no one no one really doing that no young people anyway yeah no no it is true so what about racing from the grassroots level and up is there a thing too where you've got because i guess the sport is in two facets right so you've got the top that 
goes up and like the bottom down so you've got you know the top levels like the factory v8 supercar yeah i won't ever stop calling v8 supercars the v8 for, supercar. just for you. we should start up a, yeah 100 can you do a t-shirt yeah, bring, yeah. bring back the v8 or bring, bring back v8 <laughs> yeah 100 uh bottom bottom up is where you you know you get your talent that comes from and then the top you know so there's different aspects of the sport what's the grassroots level of racing like in australia is that better or worse than it no, it's was pre- it's very strong yeah okay yeah so it's and it's you know there's lots of different classes like karting strong um speedway strong dirt racing is very strong in country towns and yeah um you know the former right through to club cars and honda xls and like there's grids of 40 50 cars of kids in xls out there that's sick racing so yeah, that, that the grassroots level of the sport's probably never been stronger. And, and so that, I reckon, is where you... If, if you're in a position where you go, all right, the grassroots of the sport has never been stronger, but the top level of the sport's in shambles, then there's a pretty massive disconnect. Like, it's real easy to see that if the top level of the sport is struggling and that so is the club, you know, level, then you've kind of just... I guess that it evens out in a sense. Like maybe it's just where it should be. Like this is the patch. I, don't, I think I don't think it's struggling. I just don't think it's where it should be. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still people aspiring to get there and and be there, but you know, wh- why have we only got 23 cars on the grid? So what's the most cars the supercar grid has ever had? V8 supercar 52. grid. Fuck. So like double basically. 52 at Bathurst. Now you get 23 or a few wild cards. 25. You know you used to have to pre qualify. You'd go to Darwin and there'd be 36 spots on the grid and 40 cars turning up. So wow. So there is that much room. Yeah. There's there's room to expand, but there's um, just no teams to do it. Well, the cars too expensive. The teams are getting turn up money. They need if they bring more cars in, they're going to get less money. So that is. So th- that to me seems just, it's like a economy of scale problem. You just, they need to bring in more money so that then they, well, they can, can bring give the in. same fee to the to more teams. Like yeah, it, well, that need... doesn't seem to be that hard of a problem to solve. No. Well, you If you're if, running the sport right. If you're going to come at it that way, you're like, but you've got dwindling attendances at track. You know, put the, who goes to three-day events anymore these days? Yeah, no. Mm. That yeah. seems like a lot of money wasted too. Yeah, like if you're gonna to go to Sydney for three days and watch Friday, Saturday, and Sunday practice, people don't do that anymore. No, no, they we don't. need to rethink about how we put on the show. You know, it should be right over coming in. We're gonna unload. We're gonna pull the car out of the truck. We're gonna race. Then we're gonna pack, pack up, up, and then we're gonna go, go to then. another one. Yeah, and you would try stuff like that. You know, you wouldn't just keep doing it. We're gonna go. Okay, we're gonna try this this weekend. You know. Yeah, and do they still do the concerts and all that? The sort rock of, and race, yeah. They still do that stuff. Yeah. The super, uh, the stadium trucks are gone though. They don't. They're do gone. Them. Yeah. yeah. See, that was probably one of the biggest draws. Huge amount of people from a GA attendance would go to a track just to just to watch that. Yeah, they but, were pretty spectacular. Well, you got a big problem, right? You watch that, and you're a kid. Then a supercar goes past, you're off getting an ice cream. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it just looks boring. Yeah, and so yeah. you think that 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 was a problem that they kind of faced almost. Um, yeah, I reckon there was, there's. I reckon for the, if you're the promoter, you want those things there. Yeah, because it brings people into, into the, yeah, you know, brings people to the track that probably wouldn't go. You know, it's going to bring 
bring a kid in that normally wouldn't go to the sport and then he might watch the V8 race and then think and follow the sport. So, yeah, it's but then you've got people at the top end of town who just hate the things. Yeah, because it's kind of taken attention for yeah. away from. You see, it. they come the, down the, the front show. straight, go the, the whole corporate yeah. box is just yeah, just yeah. jammed, packed. just yeah. packed. Everyone's going, "What's this thing? This is unbelievable." Yeah, and it brought in guys like Toby. You, yeah. you had this kind of outside industry. I mean, I I just I know there was a lot of interest in Toby whenever he was there, and I know commercially he did well um with it so it's, there was sponsors that wanted to pay but dude you you know why casey stoner like mick doing that i mean there's so many great australian motorsport personalities like chad reed i'm sure would have loved to come and drive yeah a lot of things. people would would drive and it the the best thing about the stadium truck you could just race it anywhere yeah true eh? you didn't have to change a thing yeah. same tire same thing just where do you want to race let's, and, let's just race and so the model was pretty solid there right so, so Someone owned all the trucks. Yeah, Robbie Gordon. Yeah, so Robbie owned all the trucks, and then everyone, it cost X amount to race for the weekend. Yeah. And then you, if you could, let's say it cost 50K for the weekend, and you could bring in 80K in sponsors, could you, you just made 30 grand. Yeah. I, I raced them for four years, the most profitable thing I ever did. Really? Yeah. Pretty cool. So And so why'd they go away? Um. Yeah, like supercars didn't want them. Okay. <laughs> the same <laughs> Seems and then when they did work out they needed them they'd all, all been shipped back to America that's just basically what it is the the new owners of that that, that bought supercars that just wasn't on their radar that is crazy seems like an oversight well you'd, you'd you know they'll obviously it's either an oversight or political or ignorance yeah true way eh? yeah yeah I guess you don't know what you don't know no. are they fun cars to race and drive it's probably the best, best fun and the best race car I've ever driven. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because it's um, what you had right when it, you had people from all different motorsports with a different style. Mm. And then, so when I first did it, two thousand and fifteen, super cheap auto rang. We said, "You want to race a stadium truck at the Gold Coast?" I said, "Yeah, I'll give that a go." And I've been to the track before and everything, so I went out there and I'm like. Oh, you're on pole position. I'm like, oh, this is good. And then I got into the race and got into the braking area, and I'm like braking so deeper than anyone else. And then I'm able to get the thing around the corner. Then I come up. Uh, Sheldon Creed has come from a dirt background. He's backing it in. So um, there was just like a multiple ways you could make off those road. cars. Yeah, and far. it sort of end up with the same lap time. And then as we all started racing together, we all started copying each other's style. You know, I never used the handbrake for the first six races and then i'm like oh maybe what do i do with this thing and then you come back to the same track two years later you're going three seconds a lot quicker because in the same truck same truck and you've just got this evolution of all this different style of racing you got indycar guys in there some nascar guys and off-road guys and supercar guys and then people on bikes and you just no one was too everyone was a bit older and different parts of their career so they weren't really there were some young guys there too and you wanted to help them so no one really worried about their driver IP, you know. They were just like, whoa, what'd you do there, man? You're like, oh, that's that was cool. Sick. Let me try that, you know. It was real free-flowing. and That's the vibe, <laughs> I guess, that come across too, was that ev- that was like the fun category. Like yeah. That was, it, was, it, it was more like a show than a sport. Yeah, tilt, tilt, and 
that's what people say to me. Oh, you guys actually racing? And you're like, yeah, we're we're, we're racing. <laughs> we're racing because it uh, like pole positions four grand US, right? Yeah, right. For pole, so you want pole, but you know what you want to do is get the money and put it on the bar that night and take everyone out and have a good time. You know, that's what it was about. That's it was pretty, so, pretty that's cool. So sick. Could could they do? They probably couldn't do an independent series, I guess. Yeah, you could like that. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. You, like, wouldn't be hard to make that thing fly again. Yeah, right. Have, have you ever thought about bringing it back? Or um, it needs. It, they did one event at um, Sydney Motorsport Park that wasn't around a key supercar race. Yeah, and people didn't come to it. Yeah, okay. And they also did one at um, at the Speedway at Parramatta, and a, a, when a sprint car race is on, it didn't draw a crowd. It, it needs to be around one of those key marquee yeah. events. I think it just works well if it's the Long Breach Grand Prix or the Detroit, Detroit Grand Prix or the Adelaide 500. It's something that needs to be... At an event already. At an event where it's where I think that's that's what it works. They didn't draw a crowd just by themselves. Yeah, okay. That's interesting to know. Yeah. So where are they Where are they now? Like is somebody... Well, they're all back, all back in the US and they're racing them in the US. I think Robbie would have a fleet of probably 40 trucks there. So it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that hard for him to service them, send them back, and and race here again. It wouldn't wouldn't be that hard. Someone would just need to go and do a deal with him. Just make the call. Yeah, well, I oh, like not you personally, but just someone makes the call. Someone you know? make the call. Yeah, because yeah, it just seems like a no brainer. And it and I know like it was profitable for people. Like I mean, Toby's not even a car driver, and they were making money out of his truck. Oh, I remember one of the arguments for supercars. We wanted uh, what do you say? It was maybe. Hundred grand to bring the show to the show to the to the Gold Coast. It might even be fifty grand. It's like the tickets are hundred bucks to get in. You're not thinking we're going that many more people are going to come through the gate to see him. Like it's pretty simple maths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so you did. You ended up racing them around the world, or yeah. yeah. So how did that work? Uh, I met a guy called Bill Hines. So he, um, I met him the first race at the Gold Coast, and just he was parked next to me. I didn't know him for a from a bar of soap but um he i just started talking to him and he said oh do you want to come and race my other truck in america i'm like yeah <laughs> and then just went over there and raced for him and had a had a pretty pretty cool uh thing going on so he was uh you know the band live yeah 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 so he's from the same town as they are they got this big building there in um where, where the hometown is <laughs> You know, York, Pennsylvania is where they're at. Right. The recording studio is there and everything. So basically, the the truck team was sponsored by the band, and they wow. come they come to every every race and hang out and just love motor racing. So it was like three years of there where we just rolled around racing trucks and hanging out with dudes in a rock and roll band. It was pretty <laughs> wild fun. <laughs> That's unreal. That's such like a weird serendipitous thing to happen. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And and so where did what events did they race and where what where what kind, uh, towns and cities and stuff did you uh, so um, either most most of the race was supporting IndyCar yeah yeah so the Long Beach Grand Prix De- Detroit Grand Prix St Petersburg uh, we did a double header at Texas Motor Speedway with IndyCar and NASCAR trucks and we set up a race we went backwards up pit lane then we jumped onto the banking and jumped in the infield and had a dirt section with a big gap jump and what what would you look up there griff can you put up the um 
What, what would you type in YouTube? Uh, stadium Super Trucks, Texas Motor Speedway or something. It'd, it'd show that. Just go on YouTube there, Goof. Yeah. That sounds like a really good time. Uh, stadium Super Trucks, Texas. Texas Motor Speedway. Yeah. Stadium crash <laughs> compilation. Yeah. See, there you go. Give the people what they want. And they're pretty safe, those things, eh? Yeah, to a point. Like, what happened to Mingo wasn't real safe, but... Yeah, that was gnarly, eh? Yeah. So this is it? Yeah, that's it. Let's play this one, Griff. So you're in this one? Yeah, be in there. Go to... Just fast forward a bit through the... Nah, like way fast forward once they're driving. Because, yeah, dude, these things are sick because you can literally make a track out of anything. Anyway, same tyre, same... Were they like that? So they were fun to drive, eh? Oh, yeah. Like easy to drive? Yeah, yeah. That's me there in that truck in the front there. Yeah, right. And so they ended up becoming a bit of like a driving style, eh? Yeah, you watch all different things happen. God, what a sick <laughs> little deal to have, have go down, eh? You never know who you're talking to in life, do you? There's a joker lap. Yeah, right. So they. There's a joke. Yeah. Yeah, they have like a, a joke. There's a big gap lane. jump. Yeah. Coming up. The cool thing was that you could swap the body in about five or six minutes. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you'd always have a spare truck. Like, there's probably 10 trucks racing there. There's probably three sitting back in the pit. So if you have a problem, you just swap your body onto, onto another truck. Yeah, I mean, this is this is super, super cool. <laughs> that's so rad so there's not there's none of them left in, in Oz how, nah. how different are they oh yeah that's Matty Brabs oh yeah um pause that group um how different is that to drive to like what Toby would race at Fink and that um probably it's just a smaller version of that right yeah so it's probably about 300 less horsepower and it, they're quite compact it'd be be a lot lot smaller but yeah, similar sort of That's thing. Similar. Did yeah. you ever have any ambition to do any of the off-road desert sort of stuff? Have you done much of it? No, none of that. No. N- not interested. Oh, I'm super interested in it. It's just it hasn't come up. Yeah, I'm getting probably getting a bit old, mate. So, <laughs> what's the most fun cars for you to drive nowadays? Uh, probably that was fun, right? Yeah. That scratched my itch and was like enough for me to wean myself off driving. But I drove. Last couple of test days we've done with our Trans Am cars and supercars I've had a drive and I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't really need to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it slowly just loses its appeal. It's like um, it's like I don't want to do something anymore badly that I used to be pretty good at. Yeah, yeah. right. Is it because of a, like an ego thing or is it because it's not as fun when you can't, operate at a certain level if you've experienced that level before i think you've hit the nail on the head yeah okay. yeah you're like oh i can't quite get there and then you don't have to because i got all these young kids i'm coaching and working with and it's like oh, i have way more fun watching that guy rip that thing than, than me wobbling around out there you know yeah yeah that that must be a cool feeling when it comes to to coaching people when you can extract so much of your own fulfillment out of seeing somebody else do well that's a cool feeling yeah it's something um something that's super rewarding hey when you we can actually see that and I, it, it's nearly as 
nearly probably even better than doing it yourself sometimes because you can, you know, you, you put so much into it and it's like, if you take someone like Brock, yeah, you know, three-year journey with him, then every time you, you just give him a, you know, enough information not to overload him, then you give him a little bit more and just see him take that and go bang. You're just like, oh yeah, that kid's getting it now. This is right on here. This is so cool to do. And then when you've got a kid that's super receptive and just wants it so much and then you can kind of see the ways that it's changing him as a driver and then knowing that the him changing as a driver is going to lead to his life changing for the better and, you know, getting a factory drive. And you know, there, there actually is a lot that goes into it. Yeah, it's a lot to go in it. And, but it can work with some older guys too. I do a lot of coaching with people that have started motorsport late in their life. You know, they've always wanted to race. They've been successful at business. They get a race car. They go, oh, this is a bit harder than it was. They come and see me and our, our team and you go, okay, we can help you in these areas. And you see them go out and do well as well. It's just the feeling they get out of it is, is you know, you're sharing the joy of motorsport and what it can bring and the reward of putting a bit of effort in. Because like, one thing you do in motor racing, the more effort you put in, the better you go. Yeah, It's yeah. instant measure of what you do. Yeah, okay. So you feel like that's the that's the case in driving? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cuz so that's interesting like. So with with uh so I do uh I do jiu-jitsu pretty seriously. Yep. And I got I got into it. I think I've been doing it probably like 5 years now and I'll make the story quick for the people that have fucking heard me say this a million times. But um I got pretty good at it pretty quickly. But that's because I just put in like this insane amount of effort. And I found out really quickly that if I put in X, I got X back and it made me just want to give and give and give and just really commit. And it's funny because motocross was not really like that for me. I think there's such something that sport is so hard and there's so many elements going on and you've just got to have a certain amount of, um, I think there's probably a certain amount of like natural talent and there's some like physicality sort of yeah, stuff. sport specific. That, that goes there. Some people drive and put in a lot of effort and don't get much faster, but they get better than they were. They could get to their Get their to their, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I just, th- I found with, uh, I found with jujitsu that I really got like that one-to-one, like whatever I put in, I kind of got out. And it actually made me kind of come full circle and rethink uh, the motocross thing and it's kind of gave me like a new love for motocross and was like all right it might be a little bit slower but if i work as hard as this as i do um at the jiu-jitsu stuff like maybe i can see some improvements and over a couple of years i like i kind of actually have but it sort of took seeing it work in this different little area of my life to like know that i could kind of apply it if that makes sense yeah it does and one of the coaching techniques that i use a lot you get someone that's i say find you're trying to explain something to them and he's and this is a gentleman racer not someone that's raced their whole life you get there must be something else you do in your life that yeah that it might be oh, when you tie your shoes shoelaces up do you think about doing it and they go no nah. so that's how i want you to change gears yeah right you know don't I, you know that's got to become muscle memory you need to be able to drive the car without thinking about it to free your brain up enough to think about racing. You know, yeah. that's how do you how do you feel about that whole uh, the I guess like the talk and like thinking about doing things that uh, in reality, like when you're a winning race car driver, you're just like not thinking. Oh, I had well, I don't know what you mean. So, I guess like you're you're trying to encourage this guy to like think less. Right. 
and be you know in that kind of like that zone where everything's coming automatically and you're not technically yeah thinking. so the, the the mechanical part of just driving the car you've got to get to a level where that's muscle memory you don't think about it it's like when you you'd probably drive here from home yeah 100%. each day and get here don't and go how the hell do i get here yeah yeah so the actual driving the car part needs to become like that to free up your brain enough to think about going fast you know yeah 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 and so you you see most people at the start just like anything i guess they're, they're so a bit robotic busy. yeah yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're rushing everyone's got different things they can work on but you can pull it apart pretty easy you can they can do a lap and they can drive and you go well the way i approach it to someone is they'll drive and i'll get them up to to a certain point then i'll just go and run a lap and go give me give me two or three things that i did that you want yeah okay and they might go, oh, you brake later, or oh, you used a lot of curb, or you, you know, let them try and instead of me just ramming it down their throat, let them see it. Yeah. And then if you just start breaking it down, okay, we'll just work on those two things, and that'll get you to there. Yeah. And um, yeah, so most people you can get going to a, a pretty reasonable speed, operate at a pretty good level, very easily just by understanding how what how they think and how they how they work, you know. And so, uh, it's actually interesting for me, like the convo we kind of had about about yeah. doing Bathurst down the track. Yeah. Um, I actually did the uh, Porsche day through Michelin with yep. with Maddie, and um, actually I sat with Fabian. I think we drove like four cars where we did sure. like the Mount yeah, yeah, Cotton yeah. circuit yeah. thing there. Another and, program um, you did. Yeah, and that was the first time I'd ever like sat in a car done something you know like racy to a in a sense or like tried to go as fast as i could in a car and um and yeah it was a that was a really like cool experience and it made me think so much about all of the i guess like the technicalities and all the things that are going on to to like a race car driver and i guess the the thing i left with is like oh how how hard would it be to get to like a respectable level of of driving not not that hard like at a to a to a level where you could probably go out and win a win at club level, you, you with training and application, I reckon you get most people to do that. The the bit from being that to being someone that's really elite, the last bit of it's feel. Yeah, okay. You know, you've got to feel the tire because you, you've nearly got to take the the vehicle that beyond its limits, and then just be able to bring, bring it, it back, back just yeah. that much. You know that that it's not going to be 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 an accident. So. You're over the edge, but you're not. You can just sit on the edge, you know, and that's a feel thing. You feel it through your ass, your hands, your feet, and you. The more you drive, the more you develop that that feeling for it. It'd be no different to your jujitsu, I suppose. It's yeah, and then you're yeah, you're right. Like there's well, I mean, there's stuff in jujitsu where I've I've done something and then I drove home like almost laughing about it, where I was like, that wasn't me. That fully wasn't even me doing that. I just, I did something crazy like where, you know, like someone will be almost in a position where they're about to get something super dominant. Then you just like snap on a triangle or an armbar, and then like the fight's over in like one second. And it's from a place that you would have never expected. And, you know, it's not like it's a decision that I even made. Like, okay, when he does this, I'm going to do this. It's like, it's just bang. It it happens and it's almost like you're in the matrix in a sense you know and uh i i could imagine that 
when you're when you've got all of the the shifting and the breaking and the the turning and it, you've got everything to that level that you're talking about then it's almost like there's all this stuff that would be going on around the car with the car that with the gear changes and the revs and everything but that's all perfect and you've, you're doing that without concentrating on it and the only thing that has, has all your attention is like the feel of the tires like you're explaining you know it's just the tire yeah, yeah. yeah like i can do all that now what's the tire doing that's you know, tires what is what win races that's that's what wins races so uh i think one of the coolest things on the maybe ever on the podcast is when casey was talking about his whole thing of racing was just slip versus grip yeah that's slip all angle yeah that's all he said was like how much is the car um, how much am i losing traction and then how much am i getting traction he's like you need to be on the edge to have maximum traction is like you said it's just on that tiny percentage back from spin yep you know and he's like how do i just live in that world and he said that's why people he said people used to think he was out of control because his bike was always like moving around way more than other people's and he was like man i'm gripping like yeah, i'm he's, just he's happy there. i'm right happy in that place. yeah i'm right in that zone of that's where my bike is is going the fastest so if you take that and he's talking you know, rear tire you know that how you make time in a supercar is front tire braking you know it's how much how much can i get the car into the corner quicker than the next guy to the point where i can get on the throttle again because it's you know you'd, the front tire in the supercar is what, what what gains your lap time is that different is it different in every car that that would be the no case? it's pretty pretty similar so, so like, that's pretty standard yeah, if, if you look at the point like most people can get on the throttle and drive off the corner. You've been doing that your whole life. So ever since you, they understand if you put put the throttle down, you'll you'll spin the wheels and you'll either get loose or you you won't get traction or whatever. That phase from where you get off off the throttle to the point where you need to get back on it again, that 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 whole phase is where all the lap times re- really found. That's what sorts yeah. the, the good guys out. It's what you do with the controls in the in the braking and turning zone because that's where you're going to get like understeer and then not be able to like so we, yeah come out of the corner and well yeah, okay i'm going to brake a bit deeper oh the car won't turn yeah yeah what am i going to do i need to slow it down how am i going to slow it down do i push the brake pedal harder no i can't push the brake pedal harder because the tire will lock up yeah 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 i'll just have to hang on to it a bit you know and then you're hanging on to a bit then you're just hang on to the brake a bit oh i've over slowed it you know how much steering lock can i put in i can't put that much in at the moment because i'm still trying to get the thing to brake and if i use a combination of too much of that it won't it won't do what i want it to do so the the guys that can read that tire and just live on that limit of that the tire on the entry phase to the corner that's they're the guys that they get paid the big dough. They get paid the big bucks. Yeah. Uh, and so, do you, have you ever seen a guy that's just like a a super talent, like technical ability kind of guy that just can't fucking race? No. Like, in, like so you don't reckon you could get there and then just not be able to race, and not have racecraft? Yeah. Or? Like, just they just can't. They don't have like a head for racing in a sense. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, the, there's def, there's definitely guys that can got better racecraft than speed yeah okay yeah yeah but very rare that you'll get a guy that not at that elite level yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll see that at club level or whatever you go oh, oh mate's on pole again and he's 
fifth at the first corner. You, you do see that and they don't they don't know why. But anyone that's in that level, they, they probably wouldn't have got that far, you know? Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, oh, and, and how much of the, like, that car control, like, the the reflex the, or the muscle memory stuff, like, how much of that do you think can be built in a, built in a sim these days? Probably not the person to, to answer it because I can't really drive one. Yeah, right. Um... Yeah, I I think uh, it depends. I think it depends on how good the sim is. Like obviously yeah. the F one and NASCAR sims must be pretty spot on because they live in them, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but some of the guys do, some of them don't. I guess like they're always doing sim work, but yeah, yeah I I not I'm not the one to tell you, to to ask to really know that. But um, but I know like JD just lives in his sim. Like yeah, he'll do fucking eight hour shifts in a in a sim. Like no worries at all. Uh, but then I know that <clears throat> there's guys that do F1 now that they'll only do the sim stuff that the team tells them to do. They won't, because I think they've got like scheduled sim days essentially. But other than that, like they don't have one at home that you'd never see them in one. They just don't give a fuck about them. But then you get, I feel like the new Younger guys? Then, yeah, the new generation, they just live in the things. Yeah, they, they must be able to, because you, you must have to feel it all through your hands, right? What the car's doing. Have you ever driven one, like a good one? Yeah, I crashed it. <laughs> Can't even get out of pit lane. <laughs> That's so fucking good. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I don't know how real it is, but yeah, like you, when you get the real good wheels, like I've driven JD's yeah. and then he, he has his setup pretty sick. And yeah, you get like a lot of feedback and like resistance and stuff like that. I think the for everyone that I've spoke to about the whole sim world they reckon the pedals is like the thing that you actually getting the right pedals you yeah, need, would be. need to feel the most which yeah. that seems counterintuitive to someone like me you'd think that the steering is what you needed yeah well if you, if you believe it or not it's like um, driving a car right you get your footwork right you don't need your hands really yeah you'd be surprised how much turning you do with the throttle and the brake and shifting so I'll have to get you out of the track and show you, but um, yeah, 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 you don't, you don't really use your hand. You like look at someone's, look at Jamie's or Shane's in car, or probably um, who was Mark Marcus Ambrose back. If you go back, you know, they're not doing a lot. Their hands aren't busy. Yeah, okay. Because their footwork's right, you know. They've the yeah, because they're not saving any overall saving understeer any, or not, any yeah, like you're not having power. They like haven't put snapping. too much throttle in, so they don't need to catch it. Yeah, they yeah. haven't overbraked it, so they don't need to catch it. You know, and the 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 brakes what turns the car. You know, you guide it with the steering wheel. It's your feet that that do what you want it to do. Oh, okay, it's that's... probably like on the bike where you you weight in the foot it's pegs, the same right? Shit, yeah, th- everyone thinks you're turning the handlebars, but you get. Um, you get around someone who knows what they're doing and they tell you how to shift your weight and how to load the foot pegs. You're like, how long has this been going on? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's a real that's a real thing. There's been yeah. a massive shift in the motocross world to just footwork. Like everyone yeah. that's super into technique, it's just all about like your feet and your hips and your knees and no one talks about anything to do with your arms these days. Same stuff. So I'd, I'd driven dirt bikes all as a kid and just flogged around and I went riding... But Daryl Beatty, oh, it must be 20 years ago on now. How'd you get through that corner, mate? And he goes, just use your legs. I'm like, what? Yeah, no, <laughs> it just blew my mind that you could actually do that. Yeah, no, that, we had a guy, we, we went up to Cape York and yeah. uh, a couple of years ago and one of our mates, he's a, like a world-class mountain bike rider, but it was his first dirt bike. Never really rode a dirt bike. I think he'd rode a couple of times before he bought this 350 and rode it to the Cape. And uh, man, it was like, we gave him maybe three days worth of nuggets like real fundamental yeah, yeah, yeah. riding things 
and that was the one that blew him the, his mind the most that we're on the big gravel kind of you know like the the granite type roads yeah yeah and um we're just going through around these corners and it was the same story he's just like how the fuck did you do that and we're like man just push down like down and back towards your back axle with your your um, foot and it's literally like a traction pedal like you if you want to brake traction like bring your foot off a little bit if you really want to get more traction then stamp down on it and then yeah i think we gave him like three days worth of coaching and then fantastic like 10 10 days of him just being like a really good good rider and it was just like those basic principles that he had you know and then he had no bad habits from years yeah, of riding one, right? yeah from yeah. years of doing the wrong thing yeah that's i see that a lot i see that a lot you like someone comes in it's been doing it the wrong way for a while and they've had a little bit, bit of success doing it the wrong way but they can't get any mm. further you got to retrain the whole thing back is that is that a thing more these days like the level of driving has gotten technically better to where there's guys that you like you said they would have had a, a lot of success maybe they were even guys that you raced against but they just weren't like great technical drivers in a sense uh i think still at the top level Once people, you get there, you people can't. have worked it out it's it's more people at club level bit 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 you know they've been racing at the local track track champion at wherever they are in their hometown and then they, they've had success and they come and they get a bit of coaching and you sh- they're just like what i never even knew i could do that you know that's so sick so at norwell to speak about that what how long have you had that that place and i guess what's everything that is uh offered there because it's a pretty sick facility i've only ever rode it on a bike yeah uh, but i've been there a bunch of times now um yeah so we do everything from it was built if you rhyme back it was built in 1990 being yep. uh frank gardner built it frank gardner built the place um it was actually built with cigarette money because the sponsor of his race team was benson and hedges yeah, so if you right. go back it was the benson and hedges bmw performance driving center yeah right and uh, i started racing for him in 92 um so and then ended up uh, buying the facility off off him when when he retired and then I had Holden in there as a major sponsor for a long time and um, it used to operate as a driving school and I was probably more interested in, in racing and when I stopped racing I thought oh, I was probably really focused on what we could do with teaching people how to drive better on the road and then I had um, Anton Di Pasquale come and drive for me and he'd been driving open wheel cars and I just started teaching him the fundamentals about how to drive a touring car and then when he had success more people come and ask me and said what have you taught that guy so it just sort of snowballed from there and it was at the point of my life where i didn't need my driving ip yeah didn't need to yeah. protect them like oh hey, hey, have it all you know have it all so that's 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 how the race coaching and that that developed and the more i got into it it's like um and now i get to see all the good drivers right they all come there yeah, at right. high level so I get to see what everyone does mm. so every time someone comes there I'm just learning off them as well so yeah the race coaching is something that we do there that's really rewarding enjoyable like today there would have been 10, 10 people out there before I come here uh, a couple of guys that come over from New Zealand a couple of older guys who just started racing later in life that's uh, so sick yeah it's pretty cool um, but winding back, the reason we can do it, there's the tracks there, right? So yeah. it wasn't built as a racing circuit. It was always built as a training facility. 
So the the uniqueness of the circuit is it's it's challenging. It's got everything you need to know, but the speed's down enough where you're not. It's safe. Well, you, you're not going that fast where you think I can't learn. You know, yeah, top yeah. speeds probably one sixty. Yeah. 170 but all the all the corners are there all the braking areas there so it's just perfect for training because you're not hanging on going man i'm doing 300 and i'm sitting with this guy in this car i hope it doesn't leave the road you're not yeah, yeah. not in that you're not in survival mode you can always just stay in learning mode yeah that makes sense too and one thing i noticed the other day doing the the driving and it was actually the same when i got a sim and i uh, first time i drove a sim i like I got one. It was like right when COVID was going down. I was just like, fuck, I'm going to get in this thing yeah, for right. a bit. I think I spent like 10, 10 hours or something at the first day just like trying to get like keep the thing on the road. And um, I was fucking fried. Like mentally, I was so drained. Yeah. And I ended up listening to a podcast and they were talking about the way like your nervous system works. And basically, I was like, man, it's like there's so much information that I had to process in that. 12 hour 10 hours that like it was like a dump my brain was just fucking cooked and then i could feel the same thing um when i was doing the driving thing the other day is that it was so new to me and yeah. we were going fast and that, again not crazy high top speeds but it's not something i've done all the time right by three o'clock i was like just goosed i'm fucking <laughs> over it like, yeah, no, you get that like this is so fun and i'm having a ball but like i'm cooked now you know yeah, you just you just tap out. You can't learn anymore. You got to stop. You got to so yeah. So keeping them speeds down, you'd you'd be limiting the like your fight and flight response and the adrenaline and you know I'm sure you. Well, if still you come back to but, what you were talking about with Casey Stoner and the slip angle of the tire and the grip level, you want the car to slip at a low speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the tire, even the tire we put you on, is not a very good tire. Yeah. Because we want you to feel it. We want you to drive on the edge of the tire at sixty kilometers an hour, not. I could bolt a set of better tires on, and and you'd go through at twenty plus k's more. You'd be up, up, you yeah, know. And yeah. when you, so you you want to teach everyone that and how to feel that at a slower speed, and then once you understand that, you keep going up. Yeah, probably and, probably like your jujitsu, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> start yeah. at the start. And yeah, yeah, and and it's infinite. Like you said, you're still learning off the you know like i'm sure you get giz come through and you're sort of watching and learning stuff that he's doing and you know there's always something to learn in these sports which is crazy to think about as well when you've done something like this your whole life yeah and you did like you get someone like him and he'll come out there and when he comes there he drives in his socks yeah right because he wants to train his feet to actually feel what's what's happening you know so he wants to feel every little bit of brake pressure every little bit of throttle so he, you know, it's like like little drills for him to, to to keep honing his craft and understanding what's happening with the car. So that's, that's so sick. So what cars do you drive out uh, there? Toyota eighty six is our go to car. We've got a yep. fleet of about twelve of them there. And that's what there's an eighty six race series. There's that's an eighty six yep. race series as well. Yeah. So yep. do you do? So the training cars are the eighty sixes, and then yep. do you? What so? And then I guess the next phase is like, what's the racing setup that you've got going on now? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah. Oh, so there's two things we do there. We have like a V8 supercar experience where yep. people can just come off the street and we built fleet of cars that look like a supercar, same tyre, similar grip, probably 400 horsepower. They can just come off the street and drive them. There's an instructor with them. Yeah. So that's just an arrive and drive fun experience they can come and do. Yeah. And then the other side of it's the, the the race coaching. Then we do corporate events, team building events. Um, for we do a lot of it actually. So someone like World Gym had their national conference on the oh, Gold Coast. Sick. They had eighty people at Norwell. They went four wheel driving. They all drove the cars. They all they all had a great corporate experience. So a combination of all the things we do, we can add into a, a corporate experience. That's sick. And then so as a race team. Uh, did you like you field race cars like Super Twos and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, we run as race cars. We probably run about ten cars out of out of the shop there. So, oh yeah, so there's like a race shop, and yeah. then you guys are you guys like transporting them to the races and yep. doing all that? Yeah, fuck. So you just yeah one yeah. stop shop. Yeah, that's that's so we run um four Trans Am cars, about four XLs, a couple of other Super Two, Super Three cars, just. Just stuff that we think's cool and want to get involved in, yeah. And then, so how do you? I guess uh, it's like advertising for the business in in like one sense, or are people kind of like just renting a drive? They're their or, customers. Yeah, okay. yeah. So they'd be, um, yeah. There's guys that want to race, and they've been to the race school, and we go, yeah, well, you know what? Yeah. I, yep, yeah, you're my sort of guy. I get on with you. We're on the same wavelength. I'll run your car for you. That's sort of how it works. Oh, that yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. It's a it's a totally different, I guess, just a different world than than what I'm used to because I guess the costs are so much different. The logistics of like taking a car to a track and like you just it's a there's big, so a big much thing, more. Yeah. Going so what, no matter what you're racing, if you've got to go to Sydney and race it, whether it's a Toyota eighty six or a Trans Am, you, you're probably five or six grand just to get, get there the and get there. set up and have people there. So. That's that's the thing with racing in Australia when what what you've got to take and what you get to get round. But it all goes back to that facility being there and the foresight of Frank thirty odd years ago to build that thing and and it and it still be there. And uh, is it? I know you have some noise issues. Like is that yeah, a, like we a do. major problem? Or? It, it is a major problem. Um, and then I've just adapted what we do there to to suit. You know. Yeah. And like I go, you know what I'm that's a racetrack if it was a hotel that's that's a that's a big hotel we're a boutique hotel yeah yeah done it done it differently and then a lot of the that's coming back now but a major part of our business was doing um renting the facility out to car manufacturers for dealer launches and training and yeah yeah so someone like well that's what i did there with your caddy yeah so that they would come in like someone like honda will come in and go oh we're coming for a week first two days we're going to do dealers then we're going to bring the techs then we're going to bring everyone there normally they would take that show on the road and set up in every state but i've made it there now so they can just come there and it's cheaper for them to fly people in there yeah i've got a workshop dedicated there with hoists and everything in it so they can do 
like walkthroughs of the cars. They can do and technician stuff. training there, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, dedicated yeah. To, to doing that. So, and then COVID knocked the shit out of that, but that's all starting to come back now. So, was COVID cool. hard to get through for you guys? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. We found ourselves just there's a core group of people that that worked there. Yeah, um, and we just we just did whatever we, you know. We just didn't say no. Yeah, wow. What and what did it look like? Like, how was that? Any weird things that kind of got you through that? Oh, we'd put on a, we'd go Sunday. We we're going to put on a barbecue, and it's two hundred bucks, and bring you, bring you everyone we know, bring your car around, and drive around the track, you know, <laughs> to make sure you put a muffler on it. Yeah, and, yeah. And everyone's like, oh yeah, we'll come down, and we come in there. That we were there when first lockdown first started. We had about oh, thirty people there, all driving around the track, and the cops drove in and said. What are you guys doing? I said, oh, we're testing, mate. We're testing brake pads and <laughs> <laughs> testing cars. And they didn't know what to say. Then he drove out the drive and then he drove back and he goes, I'm not sure what you guys are doing here, but um, if anyone asks you where you were, where you were on the drive home, just don't tell them you were here. I'm like, yeah, okay, mate, no worries. Fucking hell. Yeah, that must have been like, that's a probably one of the hardest businesses to be in. Like this massive footprint on the ground. You need people coming in and out. Must have been just gnarly to try and get through. Yeah. And actually, it's all about the people in the business, right? The, yeah. core, the core group of people that, that work there were like, yeah, we're, we'll just do what we're going to do. Yeah. that's that. It must be cool to build a team like that. Yeah, there's some good... Good. That's that's what you learn about going racing. You're only good about the mm. people around you, and that that crosses over into other things you do. You know. You st- yeah. No. <laughs> I, I was thinking before the like buying that you go from racing, and then you you're buying this facility, and then I mean you've turned into a pretty successful businessman in your own right. You know, post racing, and uh, was it a, like a love of business that you kind of had through racing, or like it, it started uh, when you? Yeah, I always worked anyway. You know, when always, always had. You know, I just didn't race and not do other things. Oh, so you were never just like a full time race driver. I, I don't see how people can take up their whole year with doing 12 races a year you know it's just <laughs> what are they doing <laughs> what are they doing you're from the old school brother yeah so I just always had to be busy and doing things and and uh, yeah just didn't seem to take up that much of my that much of my time that's fucking awesome so yeah so it's not like a question of full time dedicated race car driver that then is on you know looking at retirement and then you go oh what am i going to do and then you buy this business and then you find that you've got this passion for business it was just like your life you just always had shit going on yeah and then when i raced early on my life you had you had to pay to play so you're always working it's always always doing something what what was your background or i guess what was your early working career like uh, while you were racing? uh well i first started racing i was um fitting i was a boat fitted out boats at stessel boats i was there like putting floors in boats and fuel tanks and rod holders i was right into right into boats and then a couple of guys that i worked there with raced speedway cars at the surface paradise dirt track right really started going along with them and used to have like a riding passenger in the car They, they called them bombers they used to race them at yeah okay used to race them at uh surface and go up to archer field and like Anyway, turned, so I just got into racing that way and then I got my own and then having the two tracks, you had Surface Raceway and you had Lakeside in the area, yeah. you had two tracks and then got into Gemini Racing and then Formula Ford and that's sort of how it 
that would happen. So there was no like motorsport background. In oh, your my dad raced before I was born. Okay. Yeah, he 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 raced before I was born, and we always were into it. You know, always were into racing. But it wasn't like. So did you do it as a kid, like go karts? No. And all? Yeah. No, okay. Seventeen started racing dirt. Just started racing on on the dirt, the speedway, and. Dude, I when I was uh, when I was talking to Mick and doing the podcast and even obviously I've heard like a lot of stories that like aren't on the podcast. Yeah. Fuck the Gold Coast sounded like a pretty sick place to do so, back in the day. You'd go out, I think it was like seven bucks, go out to Carrara, pay seven bucks, you could drive around all day and you'd have bikes and cars. On the same track. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Bikes and cars on the same track. I remember I was I must have been about eighteen, maybe, in my I had a gem, little Gemini. I come through like turn three, and then uh, there's a guy come off his bike, right? So I stopped to help him, and he's up against the arm car, and then his two mates are on the other bikes come up. And they thought I'd run over him. They started getting stuck in the window. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like half dead. No, no, no. He's just stopped to get me. <laughs> and I dragged him off, put him in the back of my race car, and drove him back around to the pits. And he's his legs half hanging off, and Fuck. they're like. I thought you were about to say it was Mick. No. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he it was He would have been Mick. around. Everyone used to go out there. <laughs> what was the just the Gold Coast in general like back then? Uh, what would it be like? It'd be like going to Mwollombar or yeah, right. something like that. It was pre- like it was pretty pretty cruisy. Really? So yeah. it just had... Because I always picture like a Miami Vice type. No, it, it, was, <laughs> it was like a beat. You'd, like I used to sell... My first job was selling papers at at the Broad Beach Hotel and um, my mum didn't want me selling papers at the lights because she thought it was too dangerous but I was in the bloody sports bar <laughs> selling papers and then it was like oh can I go and sell papers in surface she's like oh okay you can go sell papers in surface so it was pretty you know just ride your bike in, the, in there go and do that there's nothing was it was a pretty cruisy place to be yeah I just I have this picture of I guess now but yeah, just like it's a mess back now. in time with like less Less shit, but just more room to do whatever you wanted, in a sense. Yeah, so you'd, um, like, where we are now, was everyone used to ride their dirt bikes around here. Really? Rabina was all dirt bike trails. Mollandina, Southport was all dirt bikes. Bond University was, like, dirt bikes and cars that you, like, everyone, everyone would go buy a car for 50 bucks and just drive it around. It was, yeah, pretty cool place. That's crazy. When did it start changing, you reckon? Uh, probably. Like it's obviously a yeah, slow change. 90s. So you really started to sort of see it change? Yeah, you started to see it change. <laughs> it would have been pretty cool to be back there back in the, back in the day. And did, did it still have like a, a lot of the like the waterfront kind of, yeah. not the beachfront, but like the actual, all the canals All the and canals stuff like and that. all that were there. When did they go in? Uh, so I reckon the first, like Isla Capri and all that was in the 70s, then Mermaid. That, that long ago? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. You'd never know now if you just like, if you just flew over and you had no idea, you'd think it was just one of those kind of crazy It was the only systems. way they could build, right? The whole joint's a swamp. Yeah, yeah. So they just had to pump up the land and make the canals. So. And so going back to the noise thing though, is that, yeah. so how hard is that to deal with because i guess that speaks to the conversation of just how built out this place is getting but i'm in the middle of nowhere right that's it's fucking crazy to me yeah it's just just bureaucracy and yeah it's just just crazy but yeah i'm 75.4 db at 30 meters but i you know i just deal with it and put mufflers on the cars and people get used to it and yeah and the, the type of business i do out there is fine now you know i don't 
don't have any racy stuff out there just training cars and yeah okay so automotive think, stuff and yeah so you think you'll be pretty sweet long term yeah yeah because yeah. that's a i mean we went to conondale yesterday which is one of the most iconic i think it's one of the best motocross tracks in the world really like on a good day there and uh they're in the middle of fucking nowhere yeah like 20 minutes past mulaney and noise problems they can only have 12 events a year and Who's, just, where's the nearest neighbor oh it's a, you know it's a, a ways <laughs> away but it's just like how far do you i guess this is a bit would be like a, a government local council state government type of issue to where it's like at some point do we as motors motorsports people just need to have some kind of representation and say like hey how far do we have to go how far should i have to drive from a populated area to ride a dirt bike or to drive a, a race car you know and it's like once these tracks are in place and there's like this is a track this is a concrete thing that's in the ground it's a million dollar facility this can't be moved so you know there's this is a radius where you need to understand that this can't go anywhere you know because it's like you can't just take things and just keep moving it further and further there's got to be i guess some kind of protection you know yeah well it's it- yeah, it's a hard one. You just get environmental protection agencies and noisy people. You're fine with people that complain. They've pretty much got nothing else to do in their life except complain all day and, and yeah. you just get that busy doing your own thing. You just like and there's someone paid at the council to take the guy's call. Yeah. That's yeah. their job. Yeah. And the more they take the person's call, the more they think they're doing their job. So yeah, you just Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you said, that that's bureaucracy working <laughs> yeah. right there because he's got to take those calls. That's his job. And then when he gets the call, he's got to file the paperwork like, yeah, and then that goes on to the next person that's just got to do their job and then that goes on to the next person. And it's like I've I've had it several occasions where they go, oh, you're making a lot of noise out there today. And I'm like, mate, I'm not even operating. Really? Yeah, not even operating. That's fucked. Just a noisy car drives past or something, it's like, or you can, like I've baited them a couple of times is put up on social media, they got a big event on uh. with nothing on. Get complaints and go, dude, I wasn't even open. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they call you the dude. <laughs> uh, did the, so when you did the, the podcast, uh, so you were doing the enforcer and the and the dude. Yeah. Uh, did, was that something that kind of come about through COVID? Because it was kind of around that, uh, that time. Before or then. You were doing it before yeah, that. Yeah, it's probably... Like, it's probably Russell just trying to prove something after Fox sacked him, you know? Ah, okay. Yeah, he come, he come in my office and he goes, oh, I'll talk to you. I said, yeah, what's up? He goes, got this idea. And I'm like, yeah, go for it, mate, you know? I'm like, I'm going to really encourage him to do that. And uh, it just it just worked, you know? It's some some dynamic between me and him just just worked and the, and the people just love it. Are you and you're still still doing? We haven't it? done one for a while, so I think he's a bit busy with his enforcer's car wash or something. So oh, he, really? Is he local? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we just did stuff, and like we'd known each other for. We used to race Formula Ford against each other, and like way back to 1989, and he drove for me for four years. So I've seen every side of him and know him pretty well. And he knows me pretty well, so. It just just clicked. That's a pretty cool, a pretty cool combo. And did you like what was your uh, level of podcast knowledge before you guys did that? Was it something like were you a podcast guy, or he just kind of come to you out of the blue and you? No, nah, like- he's 
he knew what it like that four or five years he spent yeah, he in, been in TV land. He he um he knows he knew exactly what it wanted to be like, how it should how it should be, how it so he'd he'd hold the whole thing together and does a really good job of it. And my thing was he goes, I'm not gonna tell you what we're talking about. Mm. I just want you to talk just about off the cuff. Off the cuff. And he uh, why? He goes, because you you just got a pretty broad brace of knowledge and you just don't don't want me to rehearse it and that's how we did it he'd just fire a subject at me and away we go yeah because that that was pretty big like the i remember the first ones that that you guys um were doing it was like coming up in my like youtube recommendations and stuff like that so he's definitely got onto a pretty winning formula with it we hit all the people that supercar v8 supercars had forgotten about you know Oh, that's the stuff we want to hear. Why don't they tell us like that on the TV? And can and they just write in. Can you tell us about control engines, or they want to know technical stuff, and we just break it down and give it to them? Or if we something was not right, we just call it out. You know? Yeah, because you you can't. Yeah. Well, what are they going to do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the the great thing about I guess this form of content, and I think what was pretty cool about you guys doing it the way that you were is that you kind of can create this pocket where there's no no one has to give you that job and no one has to approve it and no one has to you know give you the air tom on fox like you just put it on youtube and if it's good enough shit people will listen yeah it, and it worked and we had the track so we could do stuff that no one else could do and we did reenactments of you know someone have an incident on the track and we'd go and buy a couple of old bangers and reenact it and he'd fire me over the fence and the car would roll and there was a bit the bit best one we did where they did a there was a big debate about center of gravity in supercars so the the mustang had a lower cg than the dude the Com- i remember the Commodores. i remember everyone was going so we got this van this this mazda van and put big pole up through the middle like a like a high pole and just kept putting dumbbells on the top of it till it till the thing finally is that rolled on up. youtube yeah till it finally find rolled, that grip till it finally rolled over because no one could understand what the center of gravity was so we just rolled the thing that's so <laughs> sick so did you guys not, um, I guess, what's the level that you do it now? Like, you just haven't done it for a while? We haven't or? done it for about three months. Yeah. Fucking hell, you're on to a good thing here. Yeah, we got to get Russell fired up, mate. Well, I suppose that you've got so much other shit going on, I guess. Yeah. It's not, not like you're looking for, looking for things to do. Uh, what would we, what would uh, we talk about? Enforcer and the Dude, it'd be... It might have been in the second episode. Enforcer. Yeah, Enforcer and the Dude. E, no, E-N. Yeah one word but that's fine and the dude yeah there yeah, you go it is. uh what what app are we in yeah i i remember <laughs> uh go down go down and then you go to go to videos yeah you're fucking the boys are killing it on this thing yeah he's and you're doing it all at the this um at norwell too so you've got everything set up so good which one was it i reckon it was episode two maybe yeah click into that group and we'll see just like scroll through the bottom yeah. we'll try and find it hit mute it if you can oh there you go so what was the like the res- Here, uh, oh is this yeah this is it, <laughs> this is it. Go, go forward for a bit keep going hopefully the boy yeah just yeah click in somewhere there Hopefully the boys don't copyright strike us on YouTube, mate, for no, using their right. content. 
Was it? Is it a dream, come, like a kid dream in a sense, to have a <laughs> this kind of facility in your backyard, essentially? No, I didn't. I just was always there, you know. The race team I drove for was based out of there and sort of been there 30 years. And So you're just like adding weight. So adding weight we're, to so the top watching, of it. For those just listening, sorry, we're watching the, uh, the video of the... They've got a Mitsubishi van and they've got a pole that they've uh, welded to the top of it and they're just adding dumbbell weight to, uh, I guess, uh, display what's the, the center, yeah, center, center of gravity, gravity does. Yeah. Fast forward a bit more. I want to see this thing roll. Oh, here we go. And so this was like a... Oh, there it goes. <laughs> that's so sick it's kind of like your own little top gear type yeah, of deal you know that's so awesome man but everyone was trying to explain it to the fans center of gravity and there's this big argument going on about the center of gravity between the two cars it's like well that'll show them how it works and so what was the to just go back to like supercars land V8 supercar land yeah uh, what so the Mustang had a lower CG had a lower CG it had more carbon panels than the than the ZB ZB had a few of the um, OEM steel panels still on it, so yeah, right. So obviously higher center of gravity, center of and gravity. Then getting more like roll yeah, in the turns, and yeah, yeah, harder to harder to go around the corner. Yeah, okay, yeah, sweet. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's like a that's like Top Gear's sort of style stuff. Who did all the production and that of it? Russell, really? So it was like his. He just went fucking. He knew, yeah, bang. he got a cam- oh, some guys we knew, camera camera guy, uh, sound guy. And then uh, he'd just sit there with the edit guy and just, he knew. That's edit. awesome. Yeah, he's pretty pretty clever dude. Yeah, right. What yeah. what does he do like day to day these days? Oh, he flips houses and. So he's just doing his thing. He like does he, whatever he can. He's a he's a survivor, Russ. He's not scared of working. <laughs> that's, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. And so I was on your Instagram the other day and saw that you're doing a, a there's a North Queensland racetrack going in or like a driver training there. Are you involved in that? Yeah, so that's uh, up in Townsville. Yeah. That's probably an overnight success, 20 years in the making. That's yeah, that thing. Right. So it's been, it, what it is is a, um, it's a non-for-profit. Yeah. Um, new, new company formed, which is all the directors and shareholders of it are the, uh, all the car clubs in that area. So there's seven or eight car clubs in, involved in it. Um, and it's so far it's been funded by state and federal government grants. That's awesome. And so, what was your role in in that? Uh, the guy who's the, the guy called Pat Driscoll ended up being a really good mate of mine. He um he rang me up and wanted to talk to me a bit about the track, my track, and how my turntable worked and how it all worked. And I said, oh, "What's what do you want to know all that for?" He said, "I'm trying to get this track going up in North Queensland." I went, "Tell me a bit more about it." I said, yeah, well, that's far enough away from me. You're not going to... Yeah, yeah. So then he told me the setup of it, and I thought, mate, that thing's going to be there forever. Yeah, No right. one's ever going to move that thing. Yeah. Right? So I jumped on a plane and went up there and looked where they had the site and what they were, how they were going to build it and how the model was set up. Yeah. And going back to your thing, which you said, how far out of town do you have to be before no one... Yeah. So it just looked all perfect so that... Council had given them the land. It's about 40 minutes out of town. Um, industrial's going to be developed around it. Yeah. So it'll never, won't never have a noise issue. 
and the first part of the track was to build a large vehicle maneuvering area to do driver training for the army so they, I was gonna say they got the and, army there yeah and then the, n- the next part of the track which the end of this month should be surfaced that that's going in so uh, then i'd become involved and they uh, i'm what they call uh, a community director yeah so you've got directors from the car clubs you've got a, someone from the council that sits on it and then two community directors which is i am but just help them out and point in the right direction you know lobbying government uh, yeah We'd you know we'd be on, be go and see the person from the from the in power, and straight across to see the guy from the opposition, and just make sure it happens. And that thing will be there forever. Yeah, like in right. fifty years' time, it'll still be there. It'll still be getting improved, and it'll never go away. And North Queensland doesn't. They've got such a massive car culture up there, and no circuit. Yeah, right. There's no one. That's yeah, sort of, I mean, the only <laughs> thing like we grew up in Cairns. Yeah, and like Mariba, that that's kind of the only thing that I can think of is they've got like the go kart and motard track up there. Like that's kind of it, eh? Yeah. So the drift guys are now using that large vehicle maneuver for motorsport. Yeah. Uh, some of the bike guys are doing days on it. The track will go down. The next thing to build is the drag strip. Yeah speedway the go-kart club up there now has gone okay we're going to move out there as well that's so it'll just cool. be a, a really cool precinct and um owned by the community and so do you think it's speaking of like business models like that seems like a pretty cool business model that i guess ensures the maybe like the survival of a club in a sense because they've kind of got a piece of uh or like a bigger piece of the puzzle kind of thing that keeps them um keeps them in the game but do you think that that's something that could be replicated in different states yeah i do so if you look at what's being built in racetracks it's high net worth guys build themselves a toy set right yeah i'm gonna build a track like the shahins built this track we're gonna do that yeah yeah um this is a completely different way of going about it it's built by the community for the community community. yeah (laughs) and you've got buy-in from from all levels of government state federal and local government all involved in it it's 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 um something that'll always be there you just don't actually like that is our government kind of working properly (laughs) you almost don't really hear stories like this that much yeah well it's it's a testament to to pat and who's been as i said he's been on it for 20 years and uh it's it's now going to happen like it's it's pretty if you ever get if you're in towns when you you need to go and check it out and it's the best it's between two mountains it's the best best um geographically located site i've ever seen yet there in the middle of nowhere and you got this is a pretty cool place that's awesome what's it has it got a website do you know uh, or like what's drive it, it drive it nq drive it nq let's yeah. have a look let's give them some love when does it open is it open now oh no it's getting surface day Hey? You said it's getting surfaced soon. The surface is going down now, yeah. So I wonder when that's going to be available, well, like when people can actually go out there. Oh, uh, January, we'll be we'll be running on that track. So we've got to let the surface cure up there first. Yep, yep. Oh, man, that's, uh, that's really cool. And you're right, man, like North Queensland is a very motorsports-orientated place place i mean they've got they've got the the townsville race has been a staple of that area for for like a long a long time now and it and it sort of makes sense that you'd want to connect i guess make a link between that event and the people that go to that event and then give them an outlet to i guess experience it for themselves you know they're obviously fans this this race this race comes to town and in the middle of the town and you go i can't use the track Yeah, yeah 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 And now that you've got your own kind of facility, because you'd want to 
you know, there'd be there's a, a sense in which you want to convert those people that are going to just watch the race for entertainment and turn them into people that you know actively buy within that um that market and you know have a race car experience that they've got some form of you know uh i guess more makes it more relatable in a sense you know yeah you've got a marquee event in the town yeah but nowhere for the normal person to to race yeah yeah it'll link the whole thing together yeah it'll link the whole thing together where where else do you think that this this kind of thing could could happen uh well where it's happened before is in northern territory okay you look at you look at hidden valley so that's a similar concept yeah that well that was the government decided they were well tony cochran the track was always there it was owned by the the car club tony cochran went up there and went well, we're going to have a supercar race here, and the government invested heavily into it. But that's that's Northern Territory Motorsport Board that control it. It's it's for the car clubs. The government invests into it, so it's sim- similar model. Yeah. Except um, these guys bought the government to it. You know, they they had to. Bring yeah, in. yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead yeah. of the the other way around. Yeah, yeah. For so to speak on Tony for a second, yeah. because I guess he's. I guess a figure in motocross and supercross now kind of you know by proxy because of you know his involvement with ame that have got sx global i guess for the because in the sport right now there's this big it's a big unknown to so many people you've got this they've got now the fim world championship and there's going to be i think it's a three event series this year and then next year it's probably going to be six or eight and there's like a lot of skepticism around the event i think they've got like 50 million dollars over five years given to them from an investment group out of abu dhabi um so like for the people that would be skeptical about that company or, or like their ability to do events like in your experience with tony do you have any like inside information on like how you think he is a getting shit done and i guess like delivering on what because essentially there's like a promise being made to the motocross and supercross community of like we're gonna fucking kill it we've got this investment we know how to run these events like watch we'll do it so it's like i guess what's your insight there based yeah, off no, the experience he's a rainmaker for sure yeah if he says he's gonna do something he does it so whether that's he'll deliver the events he'll what if he's got the money he'll make it happen um sounds like the only thing who's the competition you know this sounds like there's a rift there right if the manufacturers aren't going to come to his series or whatever but he'll do his part yeah okay and it's like um tony was when he was at supercars he'd walk into the office and it'd probably take him 40 50 minutes to get to his desk because he walked past everyone in the building before he got to his desk he knew exactly what was going on yeah right so he ran a big business like a small business that's how i would describe how he would uh he would run a you know he knew what was happening in his building yeah yeah instead of just walking in sitting in the desk and then being like there's like a filter yeah, between he, him and the he'd people know. he'd know that, that that girl over there was you know sister was sick or yeah he just knew it he had a real good, um, you know, had his hand on the tiller and yeah, yeah, knew what was going on. So that's yeah. that's why, I, you know, if if he's involved and still operates at that level, it, it won't be his his doing if it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and I've got that sense too. And I mean, the the boys, 
I don't know if you've dealt with Bailey and, and Sando that much yeah, with, with yeah, AME. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think they're gamers as well too, you know, like they, yeah. they've delivered on, on a lot of shit. And I mean, they, they, we put up a clip the other day of, you know, I was just saying like, people have called me like, can these guys even do an event? I'm like, fuck man. Yeah, mate. Marvel Supercross, <laughs> like, you know, and then, and that's just to keep it in the Supercross world. And then you go to V8 Supercars and like you said, that's kind of the heyday, you know, but yeah, I think that um, a lot of, there's because the problem is is that you've got the world the ama supercross which is like that's the biggest Get series that, yep. in the world that's the biggest money right they do 17 races and then there's like two or three weeks off and then they go to do the ama motocross which is 12 races right yeah. so it's like we've got 52 weeks in a year and these motherfuckers have already been racing for, for nearly all of them so like where's kind of the time so it's kind of causing this rift now but i mean i think that i've been thinking about it a lot lately but i think that we're just gonna get into this space where it's like there's just two different sports and i mean we've got this problem now and it's i guess the same thing that we were talking about at the very top of the conversation is that there's just limited seats there's limited rides out there available there's like these top factory teams yeah and then there's really only a couple of other teams that are even semi-comparable but if you want to win a championship you have to be on you like need that one, equipment. one of these teams you know yeah. and and so i just think that we fast forward a few years of this series doing its thing and you're just going to see guys that just do supercross they do the ama stuff and then they have a break in the middle of the year and then they do the the world stuff and then there's going to be the the big shit at the moment is well fuck it's going to kill motocross so that's where the political jockeying's going on with people that kind of can influence guys not being able to race the series in a hope to not make the series do well is in an act in, in an effort to kind of protect the motocross series if that makes sense but i just think it's short-sighted i think that we're just we've got now more teams we've got more more seats more bums and if guys leave the the motocross series and they don't end up racing it then that there's now seats to be filled here so i think that we've got this you know thing where the sort of the pie is getting gotten bigger but everyone's still trying to keep the pie smaller well, they because, want stars because in their show right they've got the, they've got like the foothold on the events as it is you know and the riders and the talent but i think that you know you fast forward a few years and then those the guys let's say five of the top 10 leave then there's five top tier spots and those guys will then get good results and then they'll be new stars and there'll be new hot property in the sport and there'll be new personalities that'll be able to come through and i think that we've just kind of got now that the pie is going to get a little bit bigger and more guys are going to come from the bottom up to fill those seats it's not like you can take someone from another sport it's not like you can put an indy car driver in an f1 car like you have to be a motocross or supercross guy like it's got to come from from within our sport you know so i just i think it's a better thing than people are kind of making it out to be it'll make proof you'll see what happens but yeah you need you're going to need some some riders with some pulling power to yeah yeah well yeah. i mean and there's got they're paying some dudes big money so to, you need to go two, if they get you know four of those guys which they've already got and then a young bloke beats one of those guys you get yourself a new star right so uh, dude that, and exa exactly exactly <laughs> so like, that's that's all you need yeah and i mean you get it just straight <laughs> off that like yeah you get one of these guys that shows that he can run with you yeah. know a sex uh a, a, a tomac a roxon then it's like here you go fuck maybe we do have a new star yeah more opportunity yeah and so I'd, yeah i just don't think people are looking at it in that sense and it's entertaining to watch and people are watching 
what was there any uh funny like I've I've heard some Tony Cochran stories like was there any kind of funny like stories that you've got back in the day when he was just like peak doing his thing no he's just all very passionate you know always has a always has a plan but yeah no there's there's some yeah I've, I've had some funny things like at board level we we all went to see the West Australian state state government once it was me and Larry there's a few team owners you know I said we're going to go see these guys and we're going to um threaten them that we're not going to come and race unless they give us the money we want and he briefed us and coached us pretty well we all had a role to play you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was it was pretty pretty good stuff it was and pretty good stuff did you end up getting the cash yeah got the deal mate got the deal <laughs> <laughs> he was he was right you're going to go in there and you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're like yep and you tell him you're not coming yep and then it was uh yeah he's Incredible amount of self-belief, Tony, you know. Mm, but you can't really fake that, can you? No, and you get caught up in it mm. and you get dragged a, dragged along, along in it and um, it's 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 pretty good. What what did you... Uh, who are the people, I guess, you've like learned the most from when it comes to just like business and like doing... Because I think it's not just like... Success isn't just about like doing good in business or doing good in racing or whatever. Like I think real success is when you kind of ticking a bunch of the boxes in your life you know you got good relationships you got enough downtime to satisfy you're satisfied with your work you're satisfied with the things that you've done in the past or whatever like have you what i guess who have you learned the most uh from when it comes to like that mixture all all depends on what what facet but i think definitely my dad like the way you the way you're brought up and what integrity you have comes Mm. comes comes from your parents and being uh, what my dad said, uh, make sure you can look at yourself in the mirror every morning when you're shaving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was just simple things like that. And uh, um, around racing, probably Roland. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's 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 pretty dynamic guy. Yeah, pushes like you know pushes his point to the point, but also can be a bit pretty fair as well. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, different people as you go you go along but I, I think the the biggest thing you, you can learn out of anything is always do if you're going to do say you're going to do something you do it and try and have a lot of integrity yeah because you, you can't buy that no no <laughs> no it's so true and what do you what do you think about uh one thing i've i've been putting a bit of thought and time into lately is just time itself yeah because i've kind of guess i've got i've gotten busy like wearing a lot of hats you got staff gotcha. that are doing you know your thing and then you've got your personal life you got your work life and you've got you know and i noticed over probably the last couple of years that whenever anyone's like hey go oh i'm fucking so busy like it's just my go-to line and i'm actually gonna try and just stop like stamp that out of my vocabulary in a sense but it's really like lately i've been just thinking about time in general and and it's, people think of it as like this resource that you either have or you don't but everyone has the exact same amount you know and, and you're a super busy guy so you've obviously have to be wise with your time you know yeah and you, it, well you, you try to be but one thing like you, you plan all these you plan around what you're going to do and what i found if you if you're going to go racing or do something in racing it's very easy to forget about all the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what's my dad say? When he was young, he bought uh, he bought money with time, and now he's old, he buys time with money. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. So you know, you get smart. You get you learn to delegate. Yeah. You learn to empower other people, which 
you know, you've done here when we walked in. You're proud of what these young guys have done around here, and you you, you delegate to people. Um, that's that's it. You know, you got to try and get some people around you, and and uh, you know, buy a bit of time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's it's definitely been something that I think everyone's kind of. I've really noticed it since COVID, like just people talking about time so much and saying that they're so busy and oh, I don't have time for this. I don't. They've probably been some of them been used to being doing nothing, so they probably think they are busy. Mm, true. A lot of- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably a bit of that. I always think about uh, whenever, <clears throat> whenever I'm like stressed or fucking think I've got a million things going. On, I think about people like Elon Musk, and I'm like, well, I'm not building electric cars. And I'm not building spaceships and I'm not building fucking underground tunnel. Like some people have just must have a crazy relationship to like how much shit they can do in a day. It's all up all in your brain. But what you're doing is important to you, right? Mm. That's what I find. It's, you, it's Those people just must be able to do a lot of things at once. Yeah, yeah. And be able to manage it all. Yeah. Yeah, because I think... Or uh, not stress and worry if shit's going to go wrong. Yeah, yeah, well, so there's a, there's a well, I'm actually about to read the book, but I've been listening to a bunch of audio um, from like the author, just he's been doing a bunch of interviews and stuff yeah. promoting the book. Uh, it's called 4,000 Weeks because that's pretty much like the average human's <laughs> lifespan is 4,000 weeks. Yeah. And um, there was a really interesting point that he kind of made in the book is that there's this... Uh, everything like there's an infinite amount of things that you could be doing and then there's an infinite amount of things that you want to be doing and then there's also like an infinite amount of things that you kind of like need to be doing that you don't necessarily want to do but then you've only got this finite amount of time so, so it's like you're like i think the where the relationship can get fucked up is when you're thinking that you actually could do all of these things instead of actually being honest with yourself about what you can do in a day and then i think that the more and more i'm like okay so you you need to just know your limits like know what's actually possible in a day and then plan that accordingly because i found myself like working on a car for or what for me it's like working on a bike and then it's something i love doing but as soon as there's like a time crunch on it or there's pressure or like i've got 40 minutes to change a tire and then do my air filter and get my bike ready to ride then i'm just like fuck this this is the worst thing in the world this is not fun and not enjoyable but i actually do like i do like the but i do like bike work but it's like the i guess the time constraint that makes the thing kind of like unenjoyable so yeah it's like i think for me now thinking about just the relationship of there's only x amount of time in a day there's only a certain amount of things that you can actually do even though there's so many things that you would want to do and it's almost like once you like uh just release any form of control over like all of those things that you can't do then it actually seems to slow time down in a sense you know don't know if that makes sense it makes sense (laughs) makes sense (laughs) but uh yeah when you when you've got so many things going on and so many things that do feel important to you like i mean there's a million things you could be doing you know right now that would all be as important to you you know i find it's what you're doing at that time become for me it's what i'm doing at that time becomes the most Mm. important important thing that's probably like a real nugget of advice in a sense too because if you're doing something but also thinking about doing something else 
then that's probably a pretty big disconnect to overcome. Yeah, and that's that's why when you, that's why you, when you're going racing, you don't think about anything else. Mm. I think that's why a lot of people do it because a lot of business people go and do that stuff because it's the one thing that switches them off. Yeah, it's like that escapism. Yeah, switches them off, and they they um, can turn their mind off. Did you feel that in the in the car? Like, did you? Because I know there's a, a few different camps of people where there's some guys where what they're really trying to do is get into that flow state where they're not thinking about anything at all. Or there's guys. Like, I mean, Casey. He said he just thought about everything. Like his mind was going the whole time he was racing. Were you? What? what which camp were you in there? Uh, thinking about what I'm doing. Yeah, but for for me, it's like I'm looking down. I can have an out of body experience and look down and see what I'm actually doing, and self coaching. So, you know, oh, I'm coming up to that corner. I better turn in. I didn't quite get that right. You're just having that little bit of conversation with yourself the whole the whole time. So you think thinking about it but not over analyzing it just trying to make a plan for what's coming up next and the plan mightn't go exactly right yeah. but i'm just going to make a couple of little adjustments and then just trying to get your mind onto the next thing down the road you know were and you were you a guy that got into that state like every time or, or could you notice differences between when you were driving your best versus other times when you weren't and it come down to like a bit of a headspace type of thing yeah when you first you don't know how you do it when you first do it you're just out there ripping right yeah you're driving around you're just having a good time you're like i don't know what i don't know how i did that i don't know how i did that it's not and then you then you you know if you start thinking about what's going on and get yourself around some people that that i was fortunate enough the guy i drove for frank Gardner, he was pretty good you know he taught me how to he coached me a lot and taught me taught me about that sort of stuff so the more you could analyze and the more you could think about it and get your head around it the far for me the faster i went you know yeah the faster i went and and so what was the um what was the road to get to meet a guy like that so you just you were doing like club level stuff i was racing a formula ford at uh amaru park um bmw were looking for a junior driver he was um I I won the race. Was on the plane coming home. He was on the Gold Coast. He got talking to my dad. Talking to they want a junior driver. We're like, yep, okay, you can come and drive the car. You got to bring a bit of dough. We're like, yep, we can do that. Da 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 da. Got into got into the team. Um, started just driving, and then um, the more I listened to him, the faster I went. Yeah, right. And sometimes he'd say stuff that just didn't make sense, and it and but I'd had I'd re, I'd known of his, his career was quite famous in Europe and he'd done a lot of a lot of racing and pretty pretty unique sort of guy. But a lot of people would listen to him and go, "What's that silly old prick talking about?" But I was every time I I do something that he said, it'd work. So I just instinctively just kept listening to him, you know. And even and then sometimes you'd tell you something and it would be like four years later you go, "Oh, okay, that's why he's told me that." It, that's how sort of far ahead he was. He was a pretty, pretty unique individual. Wow. So what kind of advice would he be, or like what kind of things would he be saying? Uh, well, we'd go to, we'd start off and we'd go to a racetrack and we'd go to the day before and he'd make me drive a road car around there for three, 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 three or four hours just driving. This is before we didn't have sims or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just do things where you think, what am I doing this for? What am I? But he was just conditioning me and... 
Like full Mr. Miyagi shit. A lot of Mr. Just Miyagi. Just wax on, wax off. <laughs> and all. What the fuck am I doing? A lot of Mr. Miyagi stuff, yeah. But like, yeah, all, all that sort of... And we didn't have data acquisition back in those days, right? So he'd tell you how to drive the car and I want you to use 3,250 revs going through that corner. I'm like, oh, okay. But then you'd see him and he's he, all around the track popping up in different spots and you'd come in and he get... I go, why am I using 3,250 3, revs in that corner for? He goes, I just wanted to see if you'd do what I said. It had nothing to do with actually driving the, driving the car. So it was just building confidence and to, to the point where you'd go to a track and he'd go, oh, that, that's flat. That, that corner's flat. And, and I then go, you okay, could believe flat. him. Yeah. yeah just, just, go, just go flat. Because that, that would be a challenge like for a young talented guy to like listen well, to I don't think it was that, shit yeah, sometimes yeah you'd like making mistakes and you're you know, crashing a car every now and again you're not that talented you're still trying to learn you've got lots of you know balls and he said you got balls and eyesight but then you need some technique you know once you, get balls to, and eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> once you got some technique you'll start getting faster and you'll start working it out and then that's what it was and then uh, it was, it was, he was he's a good guy to be around and we went there was uh, there was um, unlimited like open tires back then, so we had a Yokohama deal. Part of the deal was you'd go tire testing for four or five days. You'd be in the car for four or five days, unlimited tires. Um, everyone had come out from Europe. We'd we'd go for every tire they're going to use in every country, and then they'd allocate what they're going to use on what tracks. And so I'd just be in the car for three or four days just driving, and he'd be like, he, so drive the car exactly the same you yeah. had to drive it had to be repeatable yeah right? okay so you just become like a tire test robot that's right but anyway he was teaching me how to do all this stuff i'm like why does he want me to drive like that and drive like that that's got nothing to do with car racing and i'm yeah. just telling you to do it then six months later he goes oh you're now the test driver yeah right. i'm like oh, okay i'm the test driver that's good that's yeah that's super cool that yeah. and that uh because there'd be so much more skill involved than just like race car skill like you could be a guy that i guess could just train to drive race cars but there's like this whole other set of skills that if you had those skills on board then you'd be a way better race car driver. yes your car was the same different set of tires you'd come in you'd break that break the thing the corner up into three things turn in middle get, tell the tire technician what you thought away you go Again, no data acquisition. It was just all they'd tie temp the tires, and the next, the next, the next. You just keep pumping that out all day. That's why they say there's no school like the old school. Yeah, that's no m- school like the old school. <laughs> that's a big. That's a big <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that I reckon that's such a true saying because no, there's probably no one on a V8 supercar grid right now. That Not now. That would have had, had that. that level of just like time in a car. This is what you got to do. Time in a car. Yeah. And how do you have? Because I, I think attention is probably one of the things that if you've got the ability to kind of s- stay focused on something and keep your head in something for really long periods of time, yep. that's when you become good at something, I, th- I believe. Yeah, and that's probably what a Bathurst is or, a, a, you know, when you're in the car for, for a long, long period of time. But that, um, yeah, that... If you look at supercars now, they drive, how they drive those cars now is completely different to when I started racing. You had to have mechanical sympathy and be fast. Yeah, okay, because the cars wouldn't last. Yeah, the gear, you, you did that to the brakes all day, they'd fall off. The gearbox <laughs> would blow up. Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah, you had to concentrate on different things. Yeah, yeah. But the guys now, the car's not going to break. They're mm. just concentrating on being on the edge the whole time. So it's it's concentration, but they're concentrating on a different thing. And so did you find that you were able to keep your focus for like a really long period of time, not get distracted? Like if you're in a car for, yeah. like you said, three, four days, like you could just be in the car. Yeah, yeah, just loved it. Yeah, see, that's I think that's a bit of a secret weapon for people. I think that that's across the board like the people that can get obsessed with something to and but they it's like productive like whatever their obsession is is going towards like something that is you know productive like casey's the perfect example of that like that dude even you go riding with him just at like riding dirt bikes with him at a fucking local track man he comes in and he is breaking down every single thing that he's done it's like a curse in his mind in a sense you know what i mean like it's yep. not it's not just a fun go out ride with the boys come in forget about it sit down on the deck chair and you don't think about it until you go ride again it's like he's on like when he's when there's anything to do with the bike like he's thinking about bikes and it's like that level of ability to keep your attention focused on that thing is what almost like gives you that ability to be yeah, great it's something he knows more about than almost anyone. anyone in the world right yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, so it makes it easier when you actually yeah i know exactly what this is happening yeah that's, and oh sorry you, that's you, probably you know that focus and then trying to when you tried to race cars it, and mm, that's might not have been there in the same like or like he didn't have enough knowledge about what he was paying attention to maybe don't know but you're trying to trying to probably needed to step back a bit to might have need to go backwards to go forwards. Well, know? I think um, so. He was saying, I think the first time he ever raced a, did he? I think he maybe did a handful of laps out at Norway. Yeah, a, we did a fair bit with him. Yeah, and then he yeah. went and just like went straight into a race car, and, straight into the supercar. But yeah. he was on the like the last race he did at Bathurst. I was, I was, I was actually in the race. What? And um, I'm like, all right, he's he's got it. He's worked it out. He if he goes again next year, he'll be right yeah you know, really yeah it's like okay he's on and then he was like well too hard yeah no I th well i think that's when he got sick yeah so oh, that, and then all the pressure of the yeah yeah the media and the thing and he just wanted to go and race right yeah yeah but yeah. when you're fucking casey stoner it's yeah. pretty hard to just yeah. go to any racetrack anywhere in the world and like kind of fly under the radar eh? but that that there yeah, that that last runner he, he was he'd worked it out mm. yeah he's the kind of guy what if he kept doing it he would have for yeah. sure Done, yeah. like figured it out and again he's like yeah he's just a guy like he would have lived in the sim i would have hated to see how many sim laps he he would have done kind of like leading up to to that you know drive you know but yeah be sick to it'd be sick <laughs> to know it, it would have been sick to know like what he could have done if he kept going well he's not too old either no, he could do it he could do it i need to get him back out there eh? i would challenge him to come back we'll have a shootout at norwell with him me and him or you yeah, and him yeah you and him <laughs> i don't know i think he's got I'll me do some training <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he might have me there has there been people that have come out that have like driven really really good that's really surprised you uh yeah a lot and mostly it's women i was gonna ask you are there chicks that have just come and killed it because fuck chicks listen like I reckon that's the secret yes, they yes, actually listen because guys turn up right they're, yeah. they're the world's best driver and and the world's best router you know that's what guys do right yeah, yeah and they just don't listen and you get a girl and she comes and she just goes 
what are you doing? I oh, just listen to what you said. Just Even on oblivious. Our, yeah, just just do what you tell them to do, and away they go. And they have so much fun. And then in our in our corporate, like one of my big selling points for our corporate days now is it's it's oh it's inclusive. Yeah, everyone can do it. You know, you want to go to golf. What are the girls going to do? What are you? So it's it's you know the car doesn't know who's driving it. Yeah. Yeah, has no idea so it's the most inclusive corporate activity you can go and do anyone can join in yeah no that it's yeah that that's cool to know that that's the case because yeah i feel like uh anytime that i've gone to like go-karts or like any even at the the day that we did the other day like the chicks were fucking doing good man because they just listened to what the guy said and they went out and did it and i'm there trying to fucking drift and skid and <laughs> be yeah. a dickhead that's what happens uh, so is there anyone that's like really blown your mind in a way that you're like fuck you can drive like because t- natural talent is a thing someone that's not a race car driver oh let me have it no not really no one comes to mind so no one that's come out there and been like all right you really got it you, you can do oh this. actually elena blanchard the surfer really yeah okay tell me so her husband jack's like one of my best mates yeah she come out with um no shit gopro did a big big day there and did you just film it yeah it got filmed i think wait type that see if that's on youtube anyway lana blanchard like race car norwell that's cool so she was good eh she was like on the skid pan and drifting around i had no idea she was i'm and i'm she worked out that i was the guy that owned the joint room she'd come up and said uh can I run some more laps and do some more stuff? And like, yeah, okay, no, no worries. Can you, away you go. She was good. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> I didn't know. I wish I knew that. They, uh, they were just here. Um, I was with Jack on Friday. Yeah, so they were they were like a week or something. They they spent in Oz. That would have been sick to to take her out and yeah. get Jack uh, get her to smoke Jack around. She 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 was good. That's awesome. So type it, Alana A L A N A, and got it. You know, just had that oh okay this this is something i like to do and that's so cool i like yeah lana blanchard uh driving and then go like norwell maybe i wonder if they ever oh and then maybe gopro type in gopro as well no 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 just go, add, add gopro to it yeah, it was a long what it would have been six years ago or something yeah because she was one of gopro's big athletes there for a while scroll down uh maybe that's what happens when you're famous. There's heaps of other shit that comes up. Man, that's super cool. Yeah, her her uh, husband Jack's like one of my, one of your best mates. Such yeah, a, cool. Su- yeah, oh, such oh a there legend. you go. Yeah, that's Telling that's the last la- good driver. <laughs> Dude, that, that's the last person I would have expected you to say. I might need to um, I'll need to message him that and just be like, mate, I heard Diane Lana's a fucking gun. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, because yeah, it's a lot of times it's just chicks think, that yeah. I'll go out there and just fucking yeah. they, they'll listen to what you say and they smoke it yeah that was her all the big wave surfer dudes are there and they're all like she just smoked a lot of them <laughs> that's super cool <laughs> and cars are so safe especially like in the in the environment that you guys are created out there to where you really like it's a kind of a, a an easy atmosphere and a, a real easy environment like confidence inspiring to where you can and like low consequence you know yeah, so we always have a instructor in the car with you until you like a super elite level, but he can turn, he's got a brake up underneath the firewall. Uh, he can yeah. chop the motor. There's you know safety there. They're, they're going to pick up something goes wrong way before 
way before the average person does. Oh, so. true way. Yeah, yeah, like the warning lights would go off for him before. Way before. And it's like all the young guys coming through, I, first thing I do is I give them a job in the school, right? Sitting in those school cars. And they're like, what do I need to do that for? I'm like, well, you're going to get some guy come off the street and he's going to jump in that car and it's your job to make sure he don't crash. Uh. And you're going to... So it's just training their senses. You're going to pay attention again. Yeah, you're going to... Yeah, really pay attention to what's going on. Really pay attention, but it's training their feel, you know? Yeah. The um, the other thing that we did the other day that I've never done, believe it or not, I never was like a big drifted person. Like when I got my license... Neither are you, eh, Griff? <laughs> he owns an AU Falcon Ute. Griff Ute? Oh, the best thing in the world. Staying in the family, we're buying it. Uh, but I never really did like the drifting thing as a kid. Like, I'd kind of, I'd like highs van for fucking riding bikes. Yeah, and it yeah, just wasn't, it. wasn't anything I did. Where'd you go? Drift park or something? Nah, well, it was at that uh, training thing the other day. They had like oh, a, the big skid yeah, pan skid there. Pan yeah, there. the diesel skid yeah, pan. Yeah, yeah. And, but so I'd never really done it at all. So that was like pretty much my first time ever drifting a car. And like, crazy level of like car skill that that goes into into that as well yeah they do and the good thing about that skid pan there it's happening at a low low speed, speed so yeah. you can you can do it but yeah we're gonna skid pan it and we'll come and have a rip yeah no that, that it was <laughs> sick to actually do it in like a real safe environment yeah um and i think too my like i was saying my girlfriend just moved from overseas she hasn't driven a car she bought a car the other day she hasn't driven a car in like nine years oh okay and i was help her out yeah i was i did that i did (laughs) that yeah i I did that and i was like you know what it's actually crazy to me that you can get a license without doing like spending time on a skid pan like going fast on a car and like i think the way that you learn what the limit is is by actually losing control of something to to understand like you said that there's no uh no emergency procedures training you know yeah you think everything you do in your life the government wants to train you for you know yeah but the one thing they won't train you for is driving a car which is, seems crazy you eh? want to drive a forklift it's a two-day course you want to do you know operate a power tool and you work for the council you probably have to do yeah 100 percent. but oh just drive the car yeah oh yeah no you're right is that crazy to you as a yeah, person that, it, that trains people to drive it blows my mind and it goes back if you they've it comes back to curriculum, right? Yeah. There's good schools and there's bad schools. So if you go and do studies on driver training, they think it encourages young people to drive beyond their limits, encourage them to, to do stupid things. Yeah. But it, it comes back to the curriculum of what you taught them. Yeah, 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 100%. And I, and and I there's think no, that, There's no standard curriculum, you know? Yeah. I, I think it should definitely be something that... Like, if you think about the um, economics of it, I mean, imagine if the government said that you did have to go do a one day minimum one day course with you know someone like like you guys i mean a you'd get so many safer drivers on the road but then you'd have to have more facilities as well that that well that's right might might give us some more tracks but if you go and get your license in uh, Scandinavia or Germany or something it costs five or six grand by the time you do all your training oh really yeah, so yeah. there is places where that's a thing yeah, there is countries that that do that but West, how are they going to build the government how are the government going to build driver training centers everywhere and man them this for such a big country it's not going to happen that yeah until they legislate a legislate to do it they but we do a teen defensive driving course which is super popular yeah and it, it's a half day course because that's about 
as much as attention you can. Attention span, yeah. Attention span as kids these days. And the biggest thing you find with like driving on the road, the curriculum how you drive on the road changes with car technology. Mm. So how your mum and dad taught you how to drive, which is normally how you learn how to drive, is different now. Mm. So mo- every car now has got ABS. So if, if you've never had done a threshold ABS stop and felt what's happened, the first thing that happens is the pedal pulsates. Yeah. 60% of the kids, when the pedal pulsates, they take their foot off Let the pedal go. and think something's wrong with the car. Yes, yeah. And as soon as you say to them, well, you can just keep putting your foot on the brake and if you turn the wheel, you avoid the very thing you're looking at. Why are people crashing cars? Yeah. So there's just basic things they don't know. The the technology gets into the car, electronic stability control. If you, know, if you teach them to go recognize when that's coming on and go, hey, you better slow down, it saves people's lives. So tech, you've got to teach people about technology. Yeah. And how how and if you haven't taught someone about technology, yeah. How how are they gonna use it? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> such a good point, man. And like so many you're right, so many people would have never felt the the feeling of like ABS like yeah. doing its, it's thing. Sixty percent come off the brake pedal, think something's gone 60%. wrong. Sixty percent. Because it moves and yeah. they go, What's that? As soon as you show them, they go, Okay. It's it's quite crazy. And the like would you get in a aircraft or with someone that hadn't done any emergency training no what would you do if the engine stopped you wouldn't get in would you no. you wouldn't get in the helicopter with someone that dad taught him how to drive but we get in cars every day with people we just yeah oh man i think about that all the time with Ubers. you see it every day on the road eh? yeah driving had like you're you're doing thinking for another 10 cars around you yeah yeah and there's no, there's like no trust either because you don't know the level of the person that's well you leave a gap car. and then someone fills it you're like what dude yeah yeah no no you're so right man and the the other thing too i I think about this a lot with bikes like over the years when you'll see like a a mate gives a bike to his girlfriend or a chick that's there wants to have jump on and have a ride and you just watch him fucking open the thing up and just (laughs) send it and you're like you've never hit the ground you've never fallen off this thing yeah and you don't know what it feels like so yeah it makes sense that you're going this fast because you don't understand Understand the consequences you don't and i think that to a to a similar to a certain extent i think it's the same in in cars is that people have never until they've had an accident and until you've heard the sound of you know like the cut like two cars smashing into each other a car hitting something else and the screeching of tires and the breaking of glass like i don't think people have the respect for the vehicle and it's like i don't think they understand until they really see how easy it can go wrong and uh and the consequences like people are sort of most people are just driving around oblivious and now it goes wrong at a high speed too right Mm. tire technology all those safety devices that are built into the car let the the car loses loses grip at a higher level now mm, so you could just naturally the well, thresholds you, lifted uh, yeah you don't like apart from your fence you know your car park crashes and that but you drive down the highway and you see a crash you go how the fuck did that happen there's one upside down there one there it's happened at a higher speed mm. but if you go back 20 10 30 years you know, cars used to lose control at a lower speed just because the technology wasn't there in the cars. So we haven't adapted the curriculum and taught people how to drive. And the easier you make the car to drive, the less you have to concentrate. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's so true. Right? Too, you eh? learn to drive a manual. There's a fair bit going on yep. to get your manual license, so you're actually concentrating what you're doing. But now you get in a car now, it does everything for you. You're not thinking about your driving because you half the things doing it for you yeah it's basically it's already basically there. already doing it for you oh man even i got a new d-max and it's yeah. got the lane assist in it yeah fuck that's probably like the it's like the best thing but also probably the worst thing because i'm like oh, i'll take my eyes off for a minute if i can't can, you can just do that yeah right? i can just sit back and it's like and then you feel like it'll start turning before you even get in the other lane so you just it, it's like you got bumper lanes on it but like you know what i mean but no one's taught you how it works you just no, bought, i have no idea bought, just, the, it's bought on. it from the dealership and you've gone yeah no i've never thought about that point actually but it it makes sense makes sense yeah and if you go back to the motorcycle, what is it now? Two two day course to get your motorcycle license to drive on the road. I'm not sure. I've had my license. For yeah, ages. so it's a, you've got to go and do that Q ride up here in Queensland. Yes, it's a big yep, course, yep, right? Yep. So they train you. The government go, oh, we're really going to train you to drive a motorcycle because we because you've got to watch out for the idiots in the car that aren't trained. They might run over you. That's all that's about. Wouldn't it be easier to train the people in the car not to run over the bikes? Yeah. No, it's so it's so true. <laughs> do you think there's an easy way for to bring that kind of rule in do you think or would you just wouldn't have enough training centers to do it i don't think you'd have enough you'd have to build facilities you know yeah that's which i think's a good that's a probably a good thing because then you can integrate be. like the motorsport side of it because that was always the argument um the whole hooning thing i mean i'm from the generation like every thursday night i had mates that had sick cars i'd always had the shit vans for riding but i had mates <laughs> with sick cars every thursday night we used to go to Maccas and you know you do the Thursday night drags and everyone would be doing the skids and stuff like that and the art, like there was this the police would always come and everything you get you know dispersed and it was like a a problem in the town is hooning and it to me I was always just like well make a fucking place where people can go and do it right and then you sort of you a well you're just solving all of the problems that you're describing here it's like these people want to do this thing with their cars which it's fun like really fun to do. And there's like a legitimate pathway for, you know, cars to be a career. But then there's just nowhere for them to do it. And the solution is to tell people that they're fucking idiots and that they're doing the wrong thing and that they shouldn't do it. And it's like, well, maybe you just just give them a place to go and do it. Yeah, so you're a heroin addict. The government builds a place for you where you can go and take methadone. (laughs) (laughs) And we're just petrol heads same addiction what's the, what's the difference yeah yeah no i agree i've, so. I've got an addiction to hooning well build me a place where i can hoon please i've got a <laughs> drug problem so i'll build you a place where you can actually go and do it yeah and we'll give you needles good point that's a real it's <laughs> a real good point so uh the other thing i want to talk to you before we get out of here yeah driving helicopters flying choppers flying yeah. drop flying yeah, flying yeah. choppers how uh how long have you been doing that uh, what's the what's the, the process there? 25 years Shit. yeah that's sick it's always that's that's something I always want to do, and then you get a little bit old, and you're like, I don't know if that's the move. Yeah, it's it's um, it's one thing you do not take any risk with. Yeah, yeah, for me, and I know like I've 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 flown a lot, and but you go with someone like that does it for a living. Yeah, and they're on a whole whole another level. And I when I fly, Re- like, oh really? You yeah. can tell a big difference. Yeah, I just don't get into that that realm where they are you know i'm, yeah. I'm in if, if, if in doubt don't you know yeah yeah so how did that like how did that whole the love of of that start for uh you? necessity and time so our we started building vineyards out at ballandine and stanthorpe out, out out that way in the granite belt it's three and a half hour drive yeah 
there in the chopper. So when we started building vineyards out there, it was like right, we need to we need to need to get some save some time here. Yeah. So my, my myself, and my dad learnt to fly at the same time. Yeah. Um, and that's that's yeah. Once you once you got a time machine, you just yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's I've it. never heard someone call it a time machine. That's <laughs> fucking exactly what it is. Yeah, it's been been a great thing. I think um, Mick doing learnt to say, learnt to fly the same time as me, and then uh, we've owned owned a choppers together Sick. as well. So um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a tool that saves your time. Yeah, yeah. right. That's so cool. But do you enjoy flying them now? Like that, you can actually get a love of doing it in the same way. Like you can get a love of driving. Yep. Yeah. Very, very. Because you're concentrating just on that thing, you know. And it's probably more. You know, you've got a, a fair bit going on. So, with the chopper, you've got basically three controls, and every time you move one, it affects the other two. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Secondary effects of controls on on yep. everything. Yeah. And it's pre-planning, and then where are you you're navigating? You're talking to traffic control, and yeah. Your mind's working the whole time. There's a there's a not, lot of similarities to to going racing to to flying. Did and how long did it take you to feel safe doing it? Um, probably thirty forty hours. So okay. you, I went solo after twenty five hours. Okay. Yeah. Then you, but yeah, you know, I don't feel unsafe doing it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I feel there's always it's training, like, right? Yeah, yeah. They, don't, but they, they don't give you a license if you don't know how to do it. Yeah, well, fuck. There you go. <laughs> same. So same, you've got to, you know, you got to be able to land it with the engine off. You have got to be able to, you know, have a tail rotor failure. You've got to be able to the uh, auto rotation you thing would just to, scare the shit out of yeah, me. Yeah, once you understand it, it's the easiest thing you'll ever do. So it, it comes back to training. Yeah, that sounds and, scary. Uh, that, it's yeah. It's it's not that it's not it's I'd rather have an engine fighter in a helicopter than an aeroplane. Yeah, well that's very true. You can work out where you're gonna go. Have you um are you a big reader at all? Big reader? No, not super reading. Used yeah. to read a lot. I'm Dude. more of a podcast listener now. There's a there's a book called Chicken Hawk. Oh I've read Chicken Hawk. Have you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. so that that was uh yeah. All right, Mum got me that for Christmas. Yeah, that's oh, good. Two or three years ago, yeah. two years ago. Yeah, and I read that. Yeah. yeah, that that really got me like back uh, thinking about the chopper thing. Because when I, when I was a kid, we grew up in Cairns and we'd always go up to through like Cape York and it's just yeah. all cattle stations. So you'd just be driving through cattle station after cattle station. You just see 44, 44, 44. Every single place that you went to that have a that have a little R forty four or you yeah, know, twenty two for mustering. Yeah. yeah. And um it had just become like this little, you know, childhood sort of thing. And then I, I reread that book. I've been in a lot of choppers filming and stuff like that. Um and then yeah, when I read that book I was just like, Fuck, this is that, that guy had a good time, didn't he? Man, crazy <laughs> shit. Like there's some stuff that so for listeners, sorry. So Chicken Hawk is about a pilot that had zero training, had never been went to in flight a, school straight into the Vietnam straight conflict. In. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and some of the stories. So uh, the, the reason Mum got me the the book was we do like a bike ride through Vietnam. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's unbelievable. Vietnam motorbike tour is one of the coolest things. If anyone wants to do it, it's unbelievable. But um, so we do like that family trip. So we sort of got a little bit of a love for the the country i think when you draw like when you ride through on a bike and you're in really remote towns and you know sometimes you see the kids will run out and then the the guys that work for the tour they're vietnamese 
they were like, oh, they, they've got, you know, these five, six-year-old kids. I've never seen a white person before. Right. You know, so you go like that deep into the country and that's where the war was fought. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we take our drone and stuff and you just see these helicopter, uh, these bomb craters oh, where are the, everywhere. Yeah. And then they've um, bombed out like landing zones, like the LZs that, you know, talked about in the book. And, yeah. and you know, you, you're with the guys and like, yeah, that's like a chopper landing zone and stuff. And when you just see the impact that it had, on the countryside and when you read this book it just it Brings becomes it together, yeah. so like Link, links it but man like fl- literally just flying through trees and shit chopping trees down with the blades <laughs> so can you imagine the fucking being that guy back then would have been pretty good apart from being shot at but. yeah well they got they and they got shot at a lot yeah but yeah i couldn't i i actually until i read that book i had no idea the legitimate capabilities of a helicopter yeah pretty amazing machine what what were they? They were flying Black Hawks, then. Uh, Hueys. Hueys, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Hueys. Have you have you ever flown any of those bigger kind of those style of choppers, like the real big, powerful? Things? Nah, the 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 bigger they are, the easier they are. You know, the hardest thing you'll fly is a little R two two. Yeah, like it's very twitchy. A bit of wind will grab it. Yeah, and you get to a bigger machine, they they you know a bit easier to fly. So. Yeah, right. And what's the biggest one that you've been able to get uh, into? Squirrel, AS350 yep. Squirrel. Yep, yeah, yeah. They're, they're like seven, eight seaters, aren't they? Six. Yeah, Six. okay. Yeah, they're pretty sick bits of gear. Yeah, they're good. Have What's the longest trip you've done in one? Uh, I've been to Darwin a couple of times in an R44. Oh, damn. Been done done a lot in R, like a fair bit of cool stuff in R44s. Yeah. Yeah. That is that the, that'd probably be the most popular or like common one that you'd fly uh, yeah and it's it's probably the financially the easiest accessible you know so they have they have a whole accident right because everyone's got one yeah <laughs> right? okay so okay if you're gonna learn to fly and buy a helicopter it's probably the first one you'll get yeah yeah so then that would be naturally why there's more a lot more amount there a lot more fir- first time pilots in that machine and a lot more a lot more ac- lot more accidents. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. I guess there's a bit of a stigma around like those choppers in a sense. Yeah, there is, but it's just flying within their limitations. They're fine. Yeah, man, I've been with some fucking cowboys, eh? <laughs> like <laughs> filming where strapped in, like you got a harness and you're wearing a harness and it's strapped to the roof of the chopper and you're standing on the skids and these dudes are just like going fucking. They're good, crap. aren't they? Yeah, some of them, but you're just like, man, I don't know if, like, because you just never know. It's the same as getting in a car with someone, you know? Like, how good is this guy? Like, he might be he might be carrying on and making, like, pulling it off, but it's like, how far out of his comfort zone is he to do No, this? those guys would know what they were doing. Mm. They wouldn't be there if they didn't. Yeah, no, that's that's true. They wouldn't be there if they didn't. But uh, nevertheless, it's still uh, <laughs> something that can get your heart rate up. Uh, well, mate, I've uh, really enjoyed it. We've uh, pretty much done three hours in here, mate. Have we? So yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, time time goes by when you're having fun. That's good. I um yeah, really appreciate you coming on and and sharing some uh, insight around the the whole V8 world and uh, what you covered what a you bit got. of ground. Yeah, yeah, we're always doing these. Good on you, mate. But um yeah, no, definitely, I'll have to come out and uh, and have a bit of a you're, skid you're around. challenged. You better come. Oh, what's me challenge? What have I got to do? Oh, oh the, the beat Casey Stainer. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. I can do that. And then <laughs> I want April next year, six hour. I reckon. About the six hour. Yeah, yeah. You reckon? How long would it take to get ready for something like that? You'd need to do probably three club level races. Get get off your provisional license. So yeah. 
Where where could I do that? Where's the local stuff? Uh, Morgan Park, Queensland Raceway. Fucking done. Let's go. Get you something. <laughs> Get right. you done. Yeah, I'm I'm keen. I'm uh, yeah, keen to have a crack. You make it. a documentary about it. Yeah, yeah, big time. I actually think it'd be pretty pretty cool to do. Like the the yeah, big I do too. the big goal is to do the do the twelve hour. But I think it that's a few years. Like it's a it's a bit of a long pass down the field. So there's a, there's some well, steps to do in between. Yeah, let's. You got the ability to capture it all. Let's let's do it. All right, mate. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming. Uh, Norwell Motorplex uh, is probably where you'll find Paul. That's me uh, hanging out the most. And um, yeah, it's a pretty amazing facility out there. Like we'll probably do some video stuff out there for for everyone. But I would highly recommend um, if you've never done any kind of driver training stuff, and especially like if you listen to this and your misses as well. Like it, I, I actually think it's probably a pretty cool couple thing to to go and do um for for couples to get out there and you know do the do the training and you probably find that your missus will smoke you <laughs> smoke you <laughs> smoke you on the way home <laughs> uh poor morris ladies and gentlemen